What's up, everybody out there on the internet watching this? Welcome to Bridge the Gap. My name is Holden Stefan Roy. Joining me today is Uncle Dre, and this is the show where we take interesting people such as yourself. We walk through the story of your life, and we learn about you and extract some knowledge nuggets, and then the conversation goes as it kind of goes in its natural order of things. Um, to start this off, I got a big old opening question and a pre-question to that, and the pre-question just kind of sets the context. So for that one, if you could just let us know a little bit, like, where you start your life and the beginning parts of it take place because that's where the opening question brings us my life okay so i was born in montreal um that's dope my dad was a greek immigrant and my mom was i don't know like british mixed scottish irish type stuff that had been here for a few generations um which part of montreal uh pierrefonds i was born at the jewish general but i lived in pierrefonds for most of it um, Fresh. Right close to the Lafleurs, if you know what, the one I'm talking about. Yeah, my mom be living on Gwent and Alexander right now. I don't remember. The, it's where the Lafleurs is. My, no, no, no. I was right off Gwent, though. I was Lalonde and Gwent. Like, was, that's, that's it, Lalonde. Alexander's yeah. the other street. Lalonde is the one she lives on next to the Couchetard that used to be there. Like, that's my mom's yeah. crib is the place right next to the Couchetard. Holy shit, man. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Small world. Yeah, um, that's wild. Yeah, so... I grew up there um, mostly. So my mom was Anglo. Um, so I went to. At uh-huh. first, I went to Greek Mo- schools. Actually, my dad had me in these we private Greek at, schools. We're gonna run through all that, but now we know it's in Pierfa. That's the important part. We're gonna start it proper, and then we can get into all that thing. So I do got the, okay. the opening question, and it, it's a bit of a story. Okay. It starts with my girlfriend, and she's oh. washing the dishes, and she's got her phone out. And she's playing that Black Eyed Peas song. The, I got a feeling. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. She vibing. She dancing. She doing her thing. I look at her and I'm going, when the fuck did this song become chores music? Because that was like a big <laughs> moment for me. I was right. like, this is a song that people put on now when they work out. When they, you know, they, they're doing some chores. They're doing some stuff like that. They're trying to go back to a more entertaining place in their mind because they're doing some boring right now. And the reason I say that is because if you think about this track in particular and you run it back about 10 years, this is the middle of the night highlight song. This is like when that song came on, the whole place turned up and everybody united and we all drunkenly danced. And 10 years went by. The song didn't change at all because it's a song. But we changed so much that the context of our lives that it is now like this chores music environment, which was like pretty big for me because I guess I'm getting a little older. But with that, I started thinking about the 20-year-olds and how they have no idea that what they are turning up to today is the future soundtrack to their dishes washing experiences. And they don't know that when we find their turn-up music, we just start washing dishes to it. That's just how we take their music when we find it. And it's just the cycle of life. And the reason I go with that is because, like, yo, we all make music and whatnot. And I'll find that when we explore the musical journey. People start at the oddest place. They start in this adolescent phase they start to form their identity. They're like, yo, I my, my started finding rap at this age. I started falling in love with hip-hop at that point. I started writing at this point. And I'm like, none of that's the start of your journey. 
because most people don't like okay like if you're 20 maybe it's different but most people don't like start off growing up listening to hip-hop and writing bars you know it's just not how most of it is and so like if you think about the music that we consume and influence us it's probably like back in the jewish general there was some music playing in the fucking room with the doctor that little baby you was absorbing like i say that because i can remember being like five up in like Cote St. Luke, you know, we got these, my dad's got these like gray boxes in the apartment, the amp, the radio, the tape deck, all these wires and such going out to all these speakers and it would take like 20 minutes to set it up. He'd be busting like Led Zeppelin tapes and other oh, such things during the day. And then at nighttime though, we talking straight MC Mario Club mix type stuff coming right <laughs> at nighttime, right? So, you know, it's just like the night vibes of that. My mom's though, she's more with the musicals and she likes fucking, you know, soft rock love songs and discos and things like that completely different vibes this shit i had no control over yo when they played it they played it that's what it was i still had to listen so all that to say this influenced me greatly to this day and i was hoping though because if we think about our journeys it kind of goes back to that age when we really start remembering shit if you could bring us back to the youngest uncle dre that you can remember being and walk us through a little bit about what it sounded like to be you and feel free to go on uh, feel free to go on about the greek schools and stuff too because all that shit's also interesting let's bring it back to the young days of uncle dre so musically the first first stuff i remember uh would be either my mom stuff she was listening to janice joplin a lot uh that's probably she's probably still one of my favorite singers today and that might be because of that um a lot of other stuff too like she liked a lot of classic rock but janis joplin elton john was one of her favorites um and i'm not a huge fan of elton john but definitely like there's a few songs that i get down with and it might be honestly because of her um so that's one memory just her listening to music and then how what kind of technology was she using was it like tapes uh, radio uh, vinyls at the time it would have been tapes and vinyls um I remember she had a, a pretty awesome system that I didn't realize was awesome, obviously, at that age until, like, way, way later. Um, but I remember the name was Harden Carden, Harmon Carden. And somebody told me later on that that was, like, really, really good stuff. So she was actually into it. I didn't realize. To me, obviously, it didn't mean anything. Um, so, yeah, it would have been mostly tapes and, uh, and vinyl uh, while cleaning. A lot of tapes in the car, too. She always had something playing in the car like a little rack of tapes in the back seat she'd be picking from. Um, and then same thing with my dad. With him, it was mostly, as far as music, it would have been in the car, and it would have been 99% Greek music. Um, so I'm like, I can start naming off a couple of things now, but I'm not, you know, it's hard words. It's not going to make sense, right? Like, um, One or two Greek people I know are going to be like, yeah, and everyone else will be like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if they're if they if they've been exposed to that generation, then they'll recognize uh, Glikiria for sure. That she was, you know, top tier. I think from what I understand back then. Obviously, again, this is going back before my yeah. actual time. Um, there's a guy, Mickey Theodorakis, I think is the name. He's like a crazy composer guy. He's got you know a lot of stuff that uh, that I remember from my dad, and then you know a whole bunch of stuff that I don't even remember the names, but I just. I'll hear once in a while, you know, a Greek family function or something like that and be like, oh, I remember this from way, way, way back. Um, so, yeah, that takes care of them. Yeah, and how different is Greek the- music, though? Like, what's that like? What's the vibe like? I mean, just like to give like, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, genre wise, like how would that sound? Well, there's a few different genres, right? Like you, just like, you know, pop music here. Again, we're I'm, I have very limited knowledge, but there's 
definitely different moods of it, right? Like there's dancey stuff, there's sad stuff, there's romantic stuff, there's political, a lot of political stuff, actually. Um, if you imagine, like most people, if I've played Greek music around them, they think it's Indian music. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Um, when I hear Indian music, I can tell the big, a big difference between Indian and Greek, but I can actually remove myself and be like, I see why people think that because there's a lot of similar tones. Um, but I think like to me, there's big differences too. Um, so yeah, just to try and get you a vibe, like that's cool. A lot of moods. There's a lot of dancing going on. Actually, that'll take me uh segue into the Greek school thing. Um, we actually had, so I went to Greek school until grade three. And then my parents split up and my mom was like, fuck that Greek school shit and put me in an English school. So like we're saying in Montreal, you went to like a fully Greek school and it's like a, one of those private education facilities, like alt education? Uh, not alt. It was a like a legit school looking building, had a park, everything. Um, and it was just it was a private school. And so here's the trick. What they did is they teach almost all the subjects in French. So like math um history you know anything that has to do with canada and not actually greek is taught in french and then they have a greek class and a greek mythology or history class so the percentages work so they count as a private french school you know what i mean i don't know if it's tax purposes or whatever right probably um, just then, laws of language exactly <laughs> um but then yeah they'll teach you a couple of greek classes and then in the day, they'd have like a half an hour English class, you know what I mean, out of the whole day. So that part was interesting. But when my mom took me out of that school and she put me in an Anglo school that was up when, um called Herbert Purcell. And when I was in that school, my dad flipped out and he was like, no, he's got to learn Greek still. So he put me in a Saturday school. So now I'm going to school six days a week mm. and I fucking hate it. And my last class, Saturday um, schools. My last class of the Saturday school is Greek dance. So I've actually like taken Greek dance in school. And there was, you know, that regardless of whether I liked it or not, obviously I hated being there because it was school on a Saturday. That definitely had an influence on me like musically and rhythmically. You know what I mean? Nah, for sure. I mean, honestly, I feel like taking those dance classes when you're young, you're going to have a love or hate relationship with it. But I kind of wish I had been forced into some goofy ass dance class because now i'm like trying to figure this shit out in my 30s and it's a little more tricky than having those foundational two steps and basic I steps trained into you at like seven ten whatever it may be yeah it's like, so yo, true I, I still remember karate katas from like eight years old <laughs> <laughs> yeah i did a little karate when i was a kid kid too <laughs> that's awesome no but um, that, like I, I hated being in that again in that class and i did skip a lot of of that when I could get away with it. But at the same time, it's like, I wish I paid a little more attention with the dance. Cause looking back now, it's like, man, people love if you can dance, you know what I mean? Like girls love it, your life at a party. If you can dance, regardless of what you're trying to do, right. It's a confident booster kind of thing. Yeah. You can so, argue that it's almost becoming like a requirement for the live performance these days. If you look at the trends, not maybe the underground, but the trends, everybody be a dancer now to some degree yeah. even if it's just a little turn up that's, bounce I mean, and shit. that happens in waves too right like if you go back to the days of my show fresh west's early stuff or big daddy kane like if they weren't actually dancing while rapping they had dancers directly behind them you know what i mean right. kid and play and stuff right so yeah that, maybe that comes and goes 
I actually think what happened is a lot of the young ones went back on YouTube and saw a lot of the old ones and then compared it to some of these like 2000 shows where it's like three guys on a stadium stage and it's like yeah. the aesthetics at the bigger scale, Yoda dancing adds a lot. For sure. For sure. Definitely. And then I don't know what happened with, with sort of, uh, I want to say my generation or whatever, but like the, the nineties of hip hop where it was like, no, we don't dance. That's, that's gay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. All sorts of like, thing. It was almost like everyone was too gangster, too hard to dance. I don't know if it was like a extreme sort of pushback against MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice owning the charts for a while or something, but that definitely I, yeah. was a thing. I could see how that played out a lot of like the pop side because you can see the attitude still almost to this day. Like you have a bunch of like people who focus heavy on the technique side of things and they like all the gimmicks in the world are the worst things you've ever heard of. I'm like, well, not all of them, but like, you know, like, yeah, but like, but like, you know, even, even Ice Cube was willing to do his little walk across the stage there, you know, a little sea walk and, you know, like you have a little one, two move, I think. But I also think the music wasn't dancey. Like you listen to a lot of those beats and you listen to a lot of the vibes and it's like, yeah, I kind of get it. It's not like the most dance. It was, it's more, it was definitely more about moving your head or your neck, right? Yeah. And actually dancing. Like posted up on the all, wall. You brought up uh, Ice Cube. Like I think it was um, when he was in West Side Connection, they had that song, Gangsters Don't Dance, We Boogie. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was almost like they realized dance had to come back into it, but you had to ease people into it. Like, we're not dancing. We're just, it's just boogie. It's, it's totally gangster. <laughs> you know what we're I mean? Like, look at Lean Back by Fat Joe. I mean, yeah. it's still a dance. <laughs> yeah, it really is a dance. It's one of the simplest dances you've ever seen in your life, but it's definitely a dance. And I watched a whole place turn into a line dancer leaning back when that, because I was, I was in high school for that, right? So all the high school yeah. dances, when that would come on, everybody would be like, lean back. <laughs> yeah. Yo, one step away from square dancing, man. <laughs> A lot of this shit look like square dancing if you're being practical, my guy. <laughs> yeah, for real, for real. Um, but that's no, the, you is... know that's the the simpleness to sort of get everyone into it, right? Like, and I'm not even knocking square dancing. Let's be real. No, the Macarena was lit. I <laughs> <laughs> should come on at a wedding. The whole place turn up. Everybody Dude. does it, and it's dope. Dude. If you, I don't know about now, but a few years ago, if you got married and you went and saw a DJ, they will tell you, like, there's a list of songs that are like, okay, do you want us to not play this song on purpose? Because people almost expect it, but it got to the point where it was like almost played out. And de- like, we got a DJ when I got married. I'm not anymore, but anyway, years ago. Um, and the DJ was like, okay, so do you want us to not play the chicken dance, Macarena, I feel like there was two other songs, you know, I mean, that they threw on that list. And it's like, I mean, like the songs are cheesy, but you can't fuck with the effect that they have. Right. Like they Cannot. they make the party big up, even if there's three people that are like, uh, fuck that song. Is YMCA like, on that list by any chance? Was YMCA on the list? Yeah. Yeah. That might have been there too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Young man. <laughs> nah, but I, I get what it. A fun song. I, I, I honestly... I, I don't always like the songs, but you can't deny that the effect that it has on a room full of multi-generations is wild. Exactly. Yeah, sometimes uh, you just need that earworm, right? Like, it's just, we all sort of almost a suspending suspension of disbelief where we're, we all are like, okay, we know this is corny and simple, and but like, we're here to party. Let's just party. Have fun, right? Do it. I and love that's it. more important. 
But still as cool as you got that foundation for dancing back when you was young. So you was running through that. You were listening to a bunch of different musics. What kind of like, at that point in time though, were you interested in music or was it more like you had other passions and hobbies that were filling up your mind? You know what? Um, I mean, it was so young. Like by the time I got into hip hop, honestly, I think any passions or hobbies I would have had up to that point was like riding my bike outside and playing Nintendo with my neighbor after school, you know what I mean? So it was like, music was always in the back, but I think it really, like I got into it more because of my brother probably, like he's 10 years older than me. So he was way ahead, right? Um, And obviously I looked up at him like way, 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 way huge, right? He was the coolest guy ever. Like to the point where he got an earring, I was like, I want to get an earring. I'm like seven years old telling my parents I want to get an earring. He's 17 at the time. Um, But yeah, he listened to a lot of stuff, but I remember uh, him playing Ice Cube and me being like, what is this? This is crazy music. And I got into hip hop that way. But the first stuff that I actually liked for myself, um, actually before, let me go back. I remember hearing Fight for Your Right by the Beastie Boys on TV. And I remember liking it and thinking the video was fun, but not really equating it with like, oh, this is hip hop. I like hip hop. I remember it just being like, this is a crazy video that's on TV that I'm, I'm enjoying, right? Um, so shortly after that, I would have started hearing Maestro Fresh West. That's the first stuff I remember listening to and being like, I need my own copy of this and I need to get into this. Do you know um, how old you were when that was? I want to say nine. Yeah, that's still um, pretty dope. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I want to say nine. Um, Yo, the power of an older brother for having, like, early music taste is wild, right? Because, like, I'm the older brother in my life. So, like, I had to get to, like, high school to get unlocking the music. Whereas my brother, he's not that much younger. But still, in, like, grade four, he got tapped into whatever I was tapped into. Mm-hmm. It's true. It definitely helps uh, as far as... And, like, you, you, you build an identity, right? Because at first you're kind of, like, copying your older brother's identity or I was anyway. Um, but then eventually you just, you develop into your own person. And sometimes that goes similar to a brother or sometimes different. Right. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm thinking my show fresh West is the first tape I ever bought for myself. Followed shortly by, um, MC hammer. Um, and yeah, I, people make fun of MC hammer and stuff, but I was into it. It was was one of them tapes is good. The one with the Adams Family song on it and shit is like a pretty good album. That's the like, third one, and uh, to be honest, that's a, I actually have <laughs> three of his albums. His first one was "Let's Get It Started," I think. Um, correct me if the titles are wrong. And the second one is the one that was "You Can't Touch This." That's the big one that was called "Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him." And then after that, it was "Too Legit to Quit," and I think that's the one that had the Adams Family song on it. Like, I'm not saying it's the most amazing stuff, but, like, it's no, enjoyable no. music. It's, yeah, it's it's catchy, good tunes. And that's what Hammer was about. People, again, give him a hard time. Oh, it was cheesy, cheesy, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, but he was just trying to dance and have a party. Like, he wasn't trying to tell you about, you know, the streets or the, you know, how good of a rapper he was. He was literally just kind of having a party. Yeah. And he was very okay with getting a bag. And all things considered, if you look at what music comes to today, MC Hammer is a good example of what music would become, good or bad. Because a lot of the things he did, I think, are being done today to great effect. 
Absolutely. Whether or not people like that. He, he created oh. a blueprint. However you want to take that. <clears throat> I don't know if he created it, but he definitely brought Reinforced it like, one. forward for like for hip hop. He, he yeah. sort of was one of the originators, definitely. Um, and yeah, like I mean, it's it, it's hard to hate on it if you take it for what it is. You know what I mean? If you're expecting to be blown away by wordplay and lyrics and bars and stuff, like you're not going to get that. But if you want to dance and if you want to see girls' booties move and you want to get people's throwing their hands up in the air and stuff like that, then that was the stuff to do back then. Like that's, and it, it is today too. Like if you want to party, party. Nobody's partying to like the most lyrical, you know, Vinnie Paz song or whatever people want to get into, you know? It's, no, that's true. Yeah, and mean, I'm that, not even dissing it. It's like, that's, there's a place for that, but. At the place Usually I was at, those are the guys there. in the corner at the party with the phone ciphering over guys' beats. Yeah, and I've been that guy. I usually am in the corner at a party. <laughs> That's not really a music thing. It's more of an antisocial thing. But anyway, <laughs> um, nothing wrong with it. But you're, you, it's a no. good point. MC Hammer, you could throw on at a party today, and a lot more people like it than they want to admit. It's true. It's true. Um, I discovered that a while ago in myself because years after being a fan of mc hammer um and getting into a lot more sort of you know technical stuff i remember being like man i can't believe i like that blah 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 and almost hating on my own past self in a, in a silly kind of way but then being at a club and they're playing all the new stuff and then they go back to you can't touch this or you know what i mean and it's like man like everybody's dancing like hate all you want but you're looking like a sour hater if you're hating on it, you know? Yeah, it's like a lot of folk, a lot of folk can, don't fully follow the environmental impact of music creation. So, like, if your whole life is headphones walking up the street, that's a vibe. And that's going to cater to a certain sound. If you win cars, and you see this a lot where car culture is there, like, if I'm not mistaken, we can't have bouncing cars legally up here. So we don't have the same kind of car culture that exist in a place where candy paint matters and all this other such. So it's like the music reflects so much the environment and lifestyles of the people. So a lot oh, of really? times I find like people just don't understand that the music is just designed for an entire lifestyle or vibe that you just don't live. So like there's like a Rosetta Stone missing in your life to unlock why that music makes sense. That's at least where I grew to with my understanding of music I don't get. <clears throat> That was like, yeah. No, in, in my old age, I try to. If I don't like it, it's you know. I mean, there's probably a reason beyond. Oh, it's just shit, or it's just garbage. You know, what I mean, like yeah. eventually you learn. It's not just about that. Like, I don't like it. I don't like it. That's fine. But to someone, it means something. And usually, if you dig a little deeper, even if you don't like it and you think it's trash, um, it ends up. You can find talent in it somewhere, even if it's not something you're into, right? So, but yeah, that's right. old man talk. Nah, I hear it. A lot, of, a lot of the times, the people in my life aren't young men anymore. It's just what happens when you hit your thirties. I find. <laughs> but, uh, I'm in my thirties. I don't know. I know. I'm talking about me. <laughs> nah, that's fair. But like, I, you just, I can imagine it gets worse. <laughs> but like, the the idea is like, still worth having some of the conversations because having these epiphanies and the acknowledgements that like yo maybe it's not trash i'm just old that's a conversation i know a lot of people in their soul need to start having like it's like, growing like, man and it's dope that people are willing to acknowledge that the main thing to remember is like 
if you don't like it, there's a real good chance it's not for you. And they didn't make it for you to like it. You know what I mean? Like, I can listen to my son's stuff. He's 13. I can listen to his stuff and be like, yeah, I don't see it. But he, they don't want me to see it. It's not for me. You know what I mean? It's for my son and his generation. So he's enjoying it. So they're, they're successfully doing something. Even if, you know, sometimes I think it's trickery or whatever, right? Like, you can have these arguments all day about talent and who's doing what and blah, blah, blah. That's just, like, it's all the same. And, like, as much as, like, other other styles, right? Like, take Griselda. I'm going to be real with you. I do not know what the fuck West Side Gun is talking about most of the time because I don't have a background in sports. I don't have a background in fashion. And I don't understand Buffalo street slang. Yet, I'm able to fully appreciate his music and love it. But if you're being real... I've tried to do lyrical breakdowns of West Side Gun. I stopped trying to interpret his bars after the first review. That's how hard and impossible the task is for me. I mean, it's, uh, it's a throwback to, to Wu-Tang, right? Like, when they first came out, you could the beats were amazing. Not too many people were hating on the beats. Um, and a lot of the rhymes were dope. But there was a lot of shit that I, mean, I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. And, like, I could relate to one out of three sentences. And then the rest, it was just like, He's talking about apartment buildings in some place that I've never been anywhere near yet. You know what I mean? Or like just slang for things that let's 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 be honest. A lot of it they made up and popularized, right? And some of it now even we might use. But like they're bond. talking about Shaolin, and, I, and I, I'm like Shaolin. Like you guys do not look like monks, even if you know what I mean. Like you're not from there, obviously. Well, the whole thirty six chambers thing is like wild philosophy that Riza had to put into a book. <clears throat> He literally had to write a book to explain it to people. Yeah. But is that part of what makes it awesome, right? Because, like, if you understand something completely the first time, maybe it has a lot less replay value. And maybe, Mm. you know, when there's stuff that you're still confused about, a little mystery obviously adds a little flavor to it. But then, like, when you listen to something a third time, even sometimes um, involuntarily, right? And you're like, you hear something that you didn't really catch. You'd be like, oh, man, I understand that better now. This is actually deeper than I thought. You can get into it more, right? Um, for instance, there's a guy, Aesop Rock, I'm sure Love you've him. heard of. Oh, my um, gosh. He's incredible. He has an I, album coming. I can listen to his songs 10 years later and catch some shit I didn't catch and be like, holy fuck. And at first, that stuff is daunting sometimes because you listen to it. And like the first few listens of Aesop Rock I had, I was like, okay, he can spit. But like, I can't follow it. So I really didn't get into it. But then... You hear a couple more songs when you're searching for stuff and he's featured on someone else and you get into it more and like that like to to that point where literally ten years later I'll hear something off of his Labor Days album and be like, Man, I never knew what that was and I didn't even catch that and like it's still relevant or mind blowing, you know what I mean? And I think yeah. that adds to it for, for a lot of people, uh, while at the same time scaring some people away. I definitely hear where you're coming from. Uh I'm enamored by Aesop Rock's use of language. At some point, you saw that graphic of the most distinct words, and you're like, what, him? He's number one by such a margin, so you go and check out his shit. The the truth is, though, if it wasn't for Genius, I don't really know that I would have tried as hard for, like, his lyrics until the later part of his career when he's, like, doing the, hey, Kirby. When he gets to that part and he makes the effort to kind of try to, like, I guess appease the fact that people don't necessarily have the energy anymore to like dig that deep and 
and it's like to me it's a little cool but it's still like i i reviewed is the spiritual guide world nobody agreed in the comments on what anything meant so i'm like okay cool <laughs> he's still like good with it but yeah. i think there is like a he's he's a, he's a high difficulty consumption artist honestly yeah. like you have to really be into linguistic poetry analysis to make sense of what he's doing um yeah. and, and you have to way, be willing to give it some time which is kind of the same thing you could say about Griselda you have to be really into the jargon code they use and then it makes yep. a lot of sense in the world once you learn that and Maybe. I love that <laughs> yeah but, the, actually the Aesop rock change that you're talking about where he goes to like the hey Kirby style uh, I remember noticing that too and actually I think it might go back to what you were saying earlier about um, surroundings influencing your style because you got to imagine when Aesop rock was coming out and when he had oh, shit, at first, eh? all his very fast complicated stuff like he was in New York rapping with like all these guys. And at that time, that's what you did, right? You had to jam as many syllables and many rhymey rhymes into everything and also have multiple meanings and stuff. And then at some point, maybe he was just like, yo, I'm too old for that. And I'm, I got an established fan base. So I could probably chill on that a little bit and maybe make it easier. And uh, I don't know, maybe just occurred to me now as you were saying that. I think it was like, a little bit of that mixed with a little bit like i'd rather broaden my fan base a little bit be a little more easy to digest because you know the music side of it got cooler too like it's almost like yeah. he he made more of an effort to popify his sound i know people don't like that idea but i mean just go listen to 2007 versus 2017 they are wildly he's got phases too though right like he had um different producers there was times he was doing his own stuff so like the Between his albums, you can see such huge differences, right? Like if you listen to his Bazooka Tooth, which, although a lot of it's produced by LP, is not one of my favorite albums, but LP is one of my favorite producers. Um, but I like his stuff, or Aesop stuff with Blockhead better. I find it a lot, like the, the organic oh, stuff. doing a project a with him with right now. Are they? Right now, they just the dropped three, a single. Right? They just dropped That's a amazing. single. I don't like to listen to singles before the albums come, but they just dropped a single on Friday. Wow. Yeah. Aesop's been busy then, because he just dropped something on, uh, on uh, I think it was an Atmosphere song, too, a little a couple weeks he's, ago. He's he's living in a barn. on Not a barn fully, <laughs> but he's basically out in the yeah. middle of fucking nowhere by himself, fucking doing yeah. drugs and living with his cats and making music and... From what I understand, he's happier than he's ever been in life. He travels around the world. He does. He just has experiences and like rights. I'm like, this guy's got that's the dream, man. That's the, the dream. Like, holy fuck, that's the dream. I'm getting excited just thinking about that shit, man. Imagine if I could uh, do that in the middle of the city. That's the dream. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's for you, man. You can yeah. you keep your city dream. I'm. I'd, I'd prefer the the outside and be be with no one around me, basically. I want to like okay. The dream involves like space in the city, so I have the isolation in the city, and it's the choice to go and be with people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's hard to have a lot of space. Now we're talking expensive, right? I'm a very ambitious person. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that about you, buddy. <laughs> Yo, the way I see it is, dream for the stars, and even ten percent of that'll be better than not dreaming for the stars. Better than not moving. That's for sure. Um. So, yo, let's run it back to you, though. I love this shit, by the way. This is the show. This is how it works. Tangent, story, tangent, whatever. Just moves. But, um, so, like, you're basically then, I guess, in the early phases, getting into hip-hop. You're discovering it all in the pre-teenage uh, phases. 
um at what point do you like start to move it a little bit past like i like this to like i can start rapping or something does that happen in, in the early phases or does that happen like way later on so consciously way later on um as i'm listening to this stuff just to put it in a little context at my age now, we're talking mid nineties, let's say, right. I'm into hip hop. I actually like it. I have my own tastes and stuff. Um, everything's on tape for me still. I haven't upgraded the CDs yet. So if you have, it's hard to, to imagine now, but it was a pain in the ass to skip a song on a tape. So you nice. would end up just listening to it all the way through a lot of times, even if some of the songs were not your favorite songs, right? Like, you'd appreciate and, and sort of dive into a whole project more. So as I'm doing that with tapes, and again, I don't have any of my own money because I'm a little kid. So I'm getting like one tape every, you know, so often. Um, but I'm demolishing that tape for like a month. Like I'm listening to it two, three times a day. Um, and eventually I'm rapping along with it just from having listened to it so much that it's memorized now, right? So I'm going along with my show Fresh West sometimes. It's hard to keep up with him on some of his tracks, but yeah. Um, so subconsciously it's happening at that point, right? I'm sort of developing the skills, but I'm not doing my own stuff yet. Um, and then I actually sort of got away from hip hop for a couple of years and ventured into like grunge and heavy metal and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. you know, there was still some hip hop happening, but I was very into exploring a lot of like darker things like Nine Inch Nails and Tool and the grunge, you know, Nirvana, Soundgarden, and even into like, what they called new metal, like the corn and Deftones and stuff. That's and then the that almost brought me back into hip hop because with corn and Deftones, there was some hip hop crossover stuff. And again, like I didn't ever fully leave hip hop, but I was paying a lot more attention to, to heavier stuff. Um, once I got back into hip hop after I started finding a lot of the underground stuff um, with ciphers. And once I started listening to and checking out ciphers, that's when I was like, I can fucking do this because it, it seemed a lot more daunting even as a teen to like write a song. Um, you might even say I was, I was lazy back then too. So I was like, ah, who cares? You know what I mean? Um, just before you, but, just to like, so yeah, at what yeah, point no. do you move to Burlington? Uh, 12 or 13. So you so, basically start off in Montreal and then y'all move over to Burlington. So a lot of this part where you're like kind of evolving into the grunge also has like a scene shift too, right? Yeah. Is like moving to, I don't remember, is Burlington small? I really can't remember how big it is. When I moved here, it was about 105,000 people. Now okay. it's closer to 200. So it's much bigger now. It's been growing, um, good or bad. But yeah, so it was yeah. not a huge city, um, but it was definitely, a, there was a little bit of culture shock. And it's weird because growing up in Montreal um, and the school I went to, you saw everything, right? From white to black, to Asian, like all types of Asian, like everyone, there was a little bit of everyone, you know what I mean? Like my best yeah. friend uh, and his brother were were two black kids, Simon and Chris. Um, my first like girlfriend, you know what I mean? Was an Indian girl named Rupa. Uh, you know, my other best friend was, you know, the blonde blue eyed kid named Adam. So it was like very diverse. And then I moved here and it was all blonde blue eyed kids named Adam. Like at that point, when I moved here, there was nobody else. Like it was all white people. There was no diversity, right? Uh, and that so that might have played a part because my surroundings, all the kids that I was around and even 
the media, you know, in my general area was a lot more rock sort of oriented. That makes big sense to me. So that, yeah. that could have played a part just by, by the influence around me, Say for sure. Word. You're making me think of all stuff because, yeah, I went to Wager, which was, let's say, not the whitest high school. So I'm learning about, like, fucking T.O.K. and random reggaeton things and a lot of shit that, yeah. honestly, only when I was in that environment did I ever consume. And then I went yeah. to John Abbott, where, let's be real, it's it's a lot more Adams than not. Uh, and it was, like, wildly, all of a sudden, I'm into, like, as they lay dying and, like, a lot of, like, thrash and, like, a lot of more, like, rock shit. And it, then I yep. left. I ended up in a call center where hip-hop and shit was a lot more popping. And now I'm back in the rap sphere and I stopped playing bass. And, like, <laughs> but I yeah. played bass for a minute because I so deviated I, in terms awesome. of the environment. I actually That's played wild. bass too a little bit when I was a kid. In, like, in music class, I played bass and then just a tiny little bit outside of me for fun like i never got good or anything or was in an official band but i had a couple jam mm. sessions with buddies and shit like that i would say we tried to be an official band but truth be told dude had a lot of weed and was very liberal and i did i ended up writing like one or two songs and a couple bass lines <laughs> but like mostly we jammed and it was like we pl we'd play like the creep for like 10 yeah. minutes yeah and the bass line isn't riveting and you start realizing that like <laughs> Sometimes it's You're not talking about item. creep like from Radiohead. Radio. Yeah, it's like because you're not a good yeah, bassist, so you're not like knowing about the how to like get tricky. You're just trying to like follow four fucking notes with a bunch of guys, but then you realize you're playing it for like 10, 15 minutes straight, and you're like, oh, yeah. and you start having some epiphanies. And then if people aren't focused, anyway, I ended up enjoying the solo nature of rapping. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Fuck, I forget where we were. You are moving to Ontario and being influenced by culture and the right. shock of it all, and it got you more into grunge and shit, and then you deviated, and then a bit later on, you're finding the underground in Cyphers, which is where I yeah. was going to ask you, how did you find Cyphers? Um, just online. Once started, once, so, um, probably when I was... 16 17 so we're talking like 95 96 somewhere in there um it started being like the the napster era happened where you could oh, just go and word. download a million things but that's so, like super early napster era that's what I did. oh yeah 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 well I'm, I'm, maybe it was a couple years later than what i said but i'm trying to just remember where where my yeah. age was but um so that's when I started finding all, all sorts of underground, let's say hip hop and stuff like that, right? Like, um, no, you know what? Let's take it back a little bit to Lyricist Lounge and Sound Bombing. Probably what really got me searching that stuff um, because that was on much music, believe it or not, when, when TV had music on it still. Um, I remember seeing a, a couple songs from Lyricist Lounge and Sound Bombing. Uh, and that's, yeah. Uh, that's probably what got me looking for underground stuff. Yeah, that's wild. Both that... of those records, if I'm not mistaken, have like little cipher skits in them. For sure, the lyricist lounge one. That's why. And I... then, yeah, that's yeah, that's when sort of I think my my love really really. You're in you're really in like Burlington, Ontario, and on some geek shit, discovering the lyricist lounge shit, which I'm discovering like a couple days ago is tearing up fucking the underground New York City scene at that time. Yeah, yeah, 
like that's and that's wild. the thing like i think at that time much music and 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 stuff like that we're still actually focusing on music videos and it wasn't like it was mostly mainstream obviously because they got to do that but there was these shows that would have like you know more sort of either localized or underground scenes not just hip-hop right like there was the alternative one called the wedge i think it was like you would find stuff that you wouldn't really see that much on the radio or hear that much on the radio um and then yeah once the internet sort of was was more available to me um i just started downloading like a madman and i was consuming so much different music till i found you know some of the my favorite stuff yeah, as well, because like I remember in high school, I had access to all this shit, but I also like by this point, Napster and shit is full of, or LimeWire is full of viruses, so you're afraid. Um, the government's threatening to put you, like suing you and shit. Like it's not, so you, I never felt like encouraged to go download yeah. hella archives because I was a coward in high school and shit. So like hearing like just this, because I've read a book about the data troves of like available music at this time before anyone really cared. And you, you basically had everything like yeah. you knew where to it look. Was, it and, like, was very music difficult. That doesn't exist today. Yeah. It was, it was very difficult um, to search for something and not find it on Napster. Um, even stuff that I thought to myself was like sort of rare um, it would always come up. Now, sometimes it'd be, you know, a weird link or something like that that didn't work or didn't download and blah, blah, blah. But, like, it was up there. There was so much up there, so much available. And, yeah, I'd, man, um, I don't know how long it was, but it felt like there was a couple years before they really, like, clamped down on it and started threatening to sue everyone and stuff like that, where it was just free reign, man. Like, you just download as much as you want and make your mixed CDs and like at that time too, it was like CD players were starting to be able to read uh, data CDs as well as just wave CDs. So you could fit yeah. like 130 songs on a CD and put it in your car. You know what I mean? And you just sat like it almost maybe devalued some of it a little bit, but at the same time, like Yo, opening me up so much. Those, those, those data discs were big though. Like I remember you could fit, at the time, Eminem's entire discography, including hidden cuts, onto one of those discs. And I had one, and it had all of that shit. Like, these random yeah. cuts from, like, back in the day, some of the mixtape shits. And it was like, yo, was if, you, almost... if you were in high school with one of those discs, man, it was like... Because it was, it was actually better than, like, when you were in that moment, you're on the bus, and all you got is that one CD, because you don't really want to be pulling out your... So, you went from like being kind of stuck to picking that one CD you know you can commit to and it gave you like a little bit more space. So I guess it kind of devalued the one album you obsessed over and gave you a little bit more like choice. But a lot of that was like convenience, man. It was like I'm putting Absolutely. on Green Day International Super Hits because I know I can get through this whole shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think that's where the whole backpacker thing comes from is from before that when you had to carry around 10, 12 CDs for the whole day if you actually wanted to, to listen to your stuff. So you had a backpack with, you know, all your CDs and tapes and stuff and, you know, bag of whatever yeah. type things, right? So, ah, that's that's yeah. fair. But yeah, I remember I those was, days. But you were like yeah. early on it. Like a lot of people didn't have computers and internet back then. Yeah, well, like that's fair. Even when I was downloading all that stuff at first, it was at my buddy's house, right? Because he had the computer with the, the good connection. Like this is when um God. wide like 
the wide, what, I don't even remember what they called it now, you know, like, so at my house, I had the phone, the dial-up. Dial-up, dial-up. And then my buddy had the way better one that we all have now, right? Like, yeah. it was, I believe, through the cable company at the time. Um, so, like, where I'm at home and I can download one song in 20 minutes, I can, when I'm at his house, I can down in 20 minutes, like, like so many songs, you know what I mean? If you have a, a better, connect oh to people gosh. that have a lot of them, like, it's so, like, I, I kind of grew up with it, right? Um, just the whole internet thing, like, I was sort of along for the ride. Even um, my, my English school um, in Montreal, so grade four to six, I don't remember when that would have been, like late 80s was the first of two in either uh, Quebec or all of Canada that had a computer with the internet uh, enabled on it. So like, I, again, I don't remember if it was Quebec or Canada, but that was a big deal to us at the time. And like, we sent emails back and forth to this uh, school in like Chicago or some just, you know, really far away, long distance kind of thing. And just the fact that we were like typing messages back and forth was like this mind blowing thing to us. Right. So I kind of grew up with it. So I was, I was, yeah, it sounds corny, but like I was there for the downloading, man. I was there for Napster yeah, and I'm for, there for like for Metallica drummer spazzing out, you know? The one thing I can really remember is with dial up is you didn't know if it was going to be seven days or 20 minutes because it said both and it would yeah. go back and forth a lot yeah. and often it would live on seven days and then mm -hmm. four hours later it was done and you're like yeah. this is yeah. the weirdest psychological the 20, the 20 minutes was if you were like actually doing well right like if your connection both side connections were nice then well, you then can count on about 20 minutes or so your mom pick up the phone done you're like, it's, what are you gonna do she picked up the yeah. phone that's it. There's nothing you can do. You gotta just start over. <laughs> Hopefully. Oof. And yeah, and then, <laughs> then yeah, like then then you gotta hope it's the right track. Yeah. Yeah. This is a that's good another time. funny too. Like after Napster was sort of going away, and I remember LimeWire was still popping. Um, I remember being at my girlfriend's house, trying to download Beastie Boys songs or videos on LimeWire. And literally one ended up just being a porno with a Beastie Boys title. So I clicked to play and I had it already like pretty turned up from the last three Beastie Boys songs I'm listening to. And this loud ass porno just comes on. And I was like, oh, okay. I think it's time to stop playing with LimeWire for the day. <laughs> LimeWire had some wild shit in that regard. Wild shit. But um, <laughs> all of that, that whole world was like a wild time. And now I'm... Yeah. You know what I can say is thinking about it, I appreciate paying like the $15 for Spotify or whatever because like there's a peace of mind as a consumer yeah. of not ever going back to that era. Even yeah. people can argue that middle ground, YouTube to MP3 era. Do you remember when you wanted to switch up the songs on your phone and it's a four-hour fucking commitment in your life? I barely switched up the songs on my phone. So like, nah, Spotify is, yeah. I, I know as an artist, y'all can have whatever feelings anyone wants. As an end user, it is I the it. greatest fucking thing. It is the best 100%. thing I buy every month. There is nothing that brings more joy to my life in terms yeah. of value of the money than Spotify. I know exactly what you mean. I, like, I, I really do wish they would pay the artists more. Like, 
and if there was a way to to reconcile that it'd be fantastic but i agreed as an end user it's just one of the greatest things ever man like that allowed me to find stuff that you're not going to find at the record store anymore or even some stuff you can't find online anymore or it's very difficult you know what i mean so yeah i I know what you mean but at the same time as an artist I can see how it's bad for successful artists. For yeah. me, I'm like Spotify is a fucking godsend, man. Like it, it's so easy for people to be willing to check out my music because I'm on their shit already. They don't yeah. have any extra effort. And if you get a run it up squad, which is what all artists should be pushing for right now, you get a little more cash out the deal. A run it up yeah. squad is just you get people with paid Spotify accounts to run your shit whenever the fuck yeah. they're not using it. And every thousand spins is 3.08 USD. And that actually turns into like a couple hundred every couple months if you actually organize and coordinate. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, I hear you, but most of us wasn't going to be moving mixtapes in the streets because none of us are salespeople. Like none of us are salespeople. (laughs) Obviously my circle. So it's like, what are we talking about? (laughs) The whole argument with like getting more money from Spotify where like, on one hand, I would love it if the artist got more money. On the other hand, it's like some of y'all stuff I wouldn't have spent money on if it wasn't this readily available. Do you know what I mean? Like, and that's not to diss the artist at all. It could be just because I wouldn't have known them on some like Spotify popped it up on my you may like this kind of type thing, right? So it's like you want more money, but your plays on Spotify does not necessarily translate to an actual sale of a ticket or merch uh, or CD. So yeah, man, like it's it's hard. And obviously I'm biased because I am the end user. I don't, I'm not making money on Spotify, so it's not my fight, but I understand it. But at the same time, like, like I wouldn't have bought the Bjork record that I downloaded three days ago to listen to. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I like listening to it, but I wouldn't have spent $15 just for that record at that time kind of thing so it's again that's not to diss bjork in any way like she's definitely worthy of 50 dollars an album or whatever but like yeah i hear you that argument you know what i mean like it doesn't necessarily always translate or like in general like like the number of times i would have copped your mixtape on the fact that i had ten dollars i was willing to part with is very small However, um, if your stuff's on the internet, at the very least, I'll bump it and I might end up buying a shirt or some shit, you know, like, so it's like, I just feel like a lot of the music conversation is artists be like wildly nostalgic of an era they still couldn't have competed in. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Like, I've now learned a lot about that era and trust y'all like Spotify. You don't know it because you just it's too. It's way easier to get, to like do small scale money, and like you could do like you could take the math um, and simply work it out and be like, yo, you'll only give me three dollars for a thousand spins, blah blah blah, and it's like, but you wouldn't have got those spins if it wasn't on Spotify, mm. right? Yeah. Like it's exactly, it's, and it's like the numbers are hard again. The numbers are hard. Were you actually gonna be? wherever you needed to be for five hours with a backpack full of tapes, literally walking up to every stranger and trying to hustle that or slash. Did you have people willing to do that on your behalf? 
Because unless you are really doing that, trust you're making more on Spotify in the digital era. And you can still do that. If you if you really want to grind like that, you can take your shit off Spotify. And some people, for sure, you could just have a car and bump it at the store and people will buy your shit. Like, it's, it's been done and it could still be done. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know myself and people around me, like, if that happened and I walked by and I've done it before in Toronto and, like, guy will walk up and like yo come check my cd i'm like all right man and, you know he throws the headphones on or he's got on a car or whatever and like and i bought those cds so like it's still doable maybe it's harder but like definitely not gonna a lot be of stuff hard about the industry right now right sorry that's why yeah it's like it's definitely not gonna be as easy as it was but it's like at the same time i just look at it like everything's a tool and the real money is like yo figure out a way to make yourself a bookable artist and you trust there's money in the show game you just have to get all your ducks in a row like press kits and you know like look into what it is to be a booking agent and all these different terms that people are like mad at spotify for but yo even on album sales you still wouldn't have gotten as much as getting 5k to go do a show where you can then sell your shirt or you know what i mean like yeah i'll have to say that's that's neither here nor and let's be honest, like who's who's getting 5k to do a show right right now you know what i mean like, i know i that's those aren't fake numbers those are like i know, I know they're not fake but i feel like no, that's... i mean i know of people in montreal who have in the last two years pulled that to go do this festival to go do that american show this is why it's not a it's why i pulled that number it's hard All right. but it's not like a target in my and mind because i know at least three or four people who can get that right but those guys are the ones that are are they the ones that are complaining about spotify or are they the Never. ones that are actually out there hustling this shit? well once you get real money like you don't complain about the dumb shit in my opinion you just get perspective and like and i'm not saying a lot of people do this i'm saying and i'm not even saying it happens a lot i'm saying that if you can get it one time you start having a different perspective mm -hmm. and sure. i'm like well how do i get that like or even a thousand dollars a show that's probably a lot more realistic if you really put your cards right and you don't stay in your city you definitely yeah. have to travel. You definitely have to negotiate. You have to provide value. It's not like you're just doing it. But, like, to me, that sounds like a much better use of time. Yeah. Like, anyway. Um, $1,000 a show is not bad, man. Like, that's – you could live off that easily if you could line up enough shows. You know what I mean? Like, And, again, I'm not saying it's simple or that I have the answers because, believe you me, I would be doing that if I had that in order and lined up, but I just, now that I know it's possible, it's like goals, you know, like then you have to work backwards and figure out like, okay, well, it's there. And you know what? Spotify is going to help you achieve that goal. Yeah. That's how I For see sure. the situation. Cause yo, then you get a little QR code, which I haven't done yet. Put on the back of your fucking phone and motherfuckers be like, yo, check my music. Doop, boop, boop. Yo, open the Spotify, open the, the link tree so they can mm -hmm. choose their preferred platform. You know, like, that's way easier than any of the old shit, in my opinion. Yeah. But, yeah, I get it. Um, let's go back to your story, though, because as much as I love this shit, I still want to know more about your whole thing because that's, like, the main goal of this. Although your mind's yeah. gone. This is a good chat. Um, so you're basically in the high school era, and somewhere later on you start to feel like, okay, I could do this because I found ciphers. Yeah. And then um, how does that end up progressing for you? So at that point, it's basically just, you know, me and buddies ciphering after school kind of thing at buddies' houses, whatever, like the whole slamming on the table, kind of all that, right? Um, and then at some point, my cousin, uh, who's a little younger than me, gets into musical engineering. 
and he takes a course on that. And while he's doing that, we start just messing around and making music. I remember the first stuff we did was, um, even before he was using Pro Tools, was on this program called Hip Hop EJ. It was literally just a program you went on. I fucking on, remember on that shit. Yeah. Had all these samples and stuff, and you could mix your own little samples. It had a, a pretty decent amount of utility for like a $60 piece of software. Um, so we did a bunch of stuff on that, um, even recorded on it. It was so funny too, because like you would have your beat track and then you record your vocal track on it. But when you listen, it's never lined up perfectly. And then if you switch your vocal track, like the smallest possible amount that you're allowed to switch it by this program, it lined up almost perfectly. So I don't know, it was pretty fun. Um, and then, so once he started doing that, he started taking a course and learning actual musical engineering, he started using Pro Tools and like, you know, big boy programs and stuff. Um, and then we were just like, you know what, let's fucking start making music. So we did, we made a bunch of songs, uh, ended up getting a bunch of shows, not a bunch. I mean, we probably did six or seven shows total and then just kind of faded away. That's wild. Yeah. Like that, so that's like in the post high school days, you can say like early. Yeah, yeah. So now we're, we're in the early two thousands to mid two thousands now. So I'm a few years out of high school, um, you know, working what, regularly. Are you going as Uncle Dre back then? Um, no. Fuck. Uh, at one point I was Dre, just Dre. Then I was the Draelian, like Papa Dreus. It was, it depended almost on the song. Like it wasn't really a, a set thing. And you know what I mean? Like. It was kind of weird. I didn't really have like a, a name name. Even now, like the Uncle Dre thing, it just kind of sticks because nephews called me that. You know what I mean? Like it was. I like it. Not it's really. A, yeah, I don't mind it. It's just, yeah, it wasn't ever super conscious. You know what I mean? To like come up with a, a rapper name. I was more concerned actually at the time with my cousin. We were trying to come up with group names. You know what I mean? So I remember one of them was like sloths or drones or. We ended up settling on irate primates, which whatever was kind of fun. Um, at one point we were the BCC, no, DCC. And it was sort of play on the BCC, which is the boot camp click. We ended up being the double click click, which was like a whole computer joke. You know what I mean? Um, just, yeah, whatever, silly stuff like that. Um, yeah, no, but yeah, so, sorry, go ahead. No, it's cool. Like, I really appreciate that. And the name thing is, I don't know. I mean, my rapper name's not that creative. <laughs> it's, uh, it's your name, right? <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. Obi Trice, real name, no <laughs> gimmicks. Yeah. <laughs> and now everyone's doing it. You got J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar, all these guys just using their names, man. I'm I'm 100% sure a lot of us heard that and thought about those words because that song was fucking everywhere. And for Absolutely. Kendrick and I are the exact same age. He's older than me by about right. like six months. So I know for a fact he'd be in the same age group and without me fucking slap. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what? I just remembered um, as far as rapper names, my first rapper name that I wanted, I'm talking grade seven and eight now, was Chaos. Like K-O-S. Like the I literally guy? Had written, yeah. I had it written on my backpack at the time. Like that was going to be my rapper name. And then... However many months later or whatever, much music 
video fucking by chaos. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> That's wild. So obviously and, I couldn't rock that anymore. backpack is like got this chaos thing on it. And <laughs> yeah, now I'm looking like a super fan. And damn. <laughs> you, you just like, yo, I'm ahead of the curb, yo. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. See, so you basically do the rapper thing for a minute with your mans and you guys run that and then it kind of yeah. fizzles out. What makes it fizzle out? Uh, probably just real life stuff. Um, you know, jobs taking priority, girlfriends taking priority, family. Like for me, it was family and job stuff. For him, it was girlfriend stuff. And we just couldn't mix times quite as much. Um, the last show that we did was a pretty good one. And I almost... After it, I almost felt sated, if that makes any sense. Like, I didn't really, I wasn't as hungry for it anymore, um, which is kind of weird because it went really well. Like, for the most part, people were asking for an encore and stuff. Like, the guy that went on after us, um, this is actually a funny story. I was hoping that I would remember to tell. It's one of our, it's our last concert we did. Um, and I remember booking it with the guy the booking agent, he said he was going to give me 40 minutes. Um, so me and my cousin go, and my buddy that used to was on some of our songs and kind of hype man for me comes with us, and we're doing our songs, and the crowd's loving it, loving it. Like, people are getting into it. Like, it was, we were bumping. Um, and 15 minutes in, the buddy who's going to go on last and is also sort of putting on the show with the booking agent comes up and starts telling us that we got to shut her down. Like we're past our time and this and that. So I'm like, yo, what he gave us 40 minutes. We had this whole set, like with songs and skits and everything involved. Right. Yo, blah, 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 blah. And I'm so my, my hype man guy goes to the crowd. He's like, y'all want us to keep playing. And they all, Whoa! and so dude had no choice, but to let us do a couple more songs. Right. Um, I find out later, and I, I didn't even realize it at the time, but this is the guy that's going on after us. And I'm like, oh, I, I understand now why you didn't want to fucking let us keep going because you didn't want to follow us because you're shit. Sorry, I'm a little bitter about that. Um, that's why. But yeah, so that was, that was like our last show, and the reactions were great. The guy that was on after us, his DJ, when we were done our set, was asking us if we had a CD, and we didn't have anything prepared. He's like, yo, do you guys got anything I could buy, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, again, like the MC guy didn't come up and say that his DJ did, right? Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was it was a great, great show, man. Yeah, this part is kind of I don't know if it's a hundred percent because it's my hype man told me it, and I didn't see this in particular. But when he said to the crowd, "Y'all want us to keep going?" Everyone said yes, and there was one voice that you could hear going "No," and I didn't know who it was, but it was out or who she was. It was a girl voice. She was outweighed by the crowd, so it didn't really occur to me. But my buddy went to the washroom after, and he said outside the washroom, he saw the girl that said no and asked her why, and it turned out to be the MC that wanted us off's mom. Oh, my so, gosh. That is I don't, the I don't, most hilarious. It seems too crazy to be true, but I don't know why he would make it up like that. So, like, again, like I can't verify that one 100%, but... It surely adds to the story. It's pretty you know funny. what, though? Like, as you're telling me this story, I can see how it would, in a sense, satiate you because you get unlocked the other side of it right there. Yeah. You see it. That side of it is a real part. Like, 
I would not be remembering it with fondness if man tried to cut my set short, especially if you tell me you had skits and shit lined up. Like that shit would be like weird. I would have less faith in. Yeah, I was Peter. definitely not happy at that point. So like, I get it a little bit. Yeah, tell us the about way, your set though. Like you have skits crowd, and shit. Well, like the way the crowd reacted when Buddy asked if we want if they wanted us to keep going, uh, vindicated me. So I didn't feel as mad at Buddy trying to cut me off because I was like. I know why you're doing it, you pussy. And the crowd is not agreeing with you, so I don't really care how you feel about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I wasn't, I wasn't as as mad after about that. I was kind of like, it felt almost like a victory to a fight that I didn't even start. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was weird. Which actually, that's another thing reminds me. There was a literal fight that broke out <laughs> um, after our set. It was a fight that broke out right in front of the stage that actually had to like be pushed while fighting out the side door and be dealt with outside. That was a whole other thing, though. Um, but yeah, about my set, um, like we had probably twenty-five to thirty minutes worth of actual songs. Um, but my cousin is is very he's very creative. He's very weird. He, when we started, didn't even really like hip hop. Like there was maybe two rappers that he liked, but the mu- and that's what made his beats so different and so enjoyable to me is because his beats were coming from like an industrial metal techno sort of influence and space. Um, And I was mixing that with my rap. And as a fan of LP, obviously that appealed to me a lot, um, especially back then. Um, So he would put these little, it would be like his little techno or just weird freak out like background beats in between songs. And he'd have like, just sample, like in one he had the the little, if you know the movie Taxi or yeah, Taxi Driver, Taxi, yeah. Taxi, right? With Robert De Niro. There's the one scene where the drug dealer is just like lift, listing off drugs. He'd put that in over the weird beat and just like fuck with the vocals of it and shit like that. Um, so yeah, there'd be a bunch of, of that kind of stuff. There'd be like, like we'd have stuff that wasn't really songs that say we were just in development where you just put on the, you know, the, the beat for a little while and I'd rap whatever verse I had at that time, right? So, but yeah, like I said, we had about 25 minutes of actual songs at the time, but Buddy was offering us 40 minutes and I wasn't going to say no. So we just managed to fill it up, right? That's dope. Mm-hmm. Was it all like choreographed? Did you all practice? Uh, no, not really. Like it wasn't like, like there definitely wasn't any dance moves or anything like that. Like we, there was maybe choreographing as far as just more like scripting, right? Like, okay, when I put this on, you'll say this stuff and you'll, you know, throw to Jack. That's my buddy, Jack. He could do a little bit of crowd hyping, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, like not like dance choreographed, but maybe a little bit of scripting sort of. But even then it was pretty loose. I was, I'm I'm not a super awesome live performer, to be honest. It's not my favorite. It's my least favorite part of the whole thing. Um, And I don't, I wouldn't say that I ever got very good at it. It's like the best part to me. I hate yeah, the studio. It, studio. Okay, yeah. I don't hate the studio, but I only like the studio when I'm good. I right. don't like the studio when I'm bad. And I'm I, bad more often than I want to admit in the studio, which is why I like recording at home. Because you know, some days I'm just not feeling it. I'll spend an hour to fucking scrap everything. Whereas live, you can fuck up. Yeah, I can I can work with the flawed nature of live in a way that the perfection of studio bothers me a little bit. 
app, I'm, right. obviously you get used to it. You don't go this long without fucking learning how to do that it. Takes better a lot, time. But like that the live part, I can drop four bars, pull it back in, look like an idiot for four bars and know that I'll still have them by the end of the set. And it's okay. It'll be that a shit a video. Lot. I don't publish. I don't publish that part. But like yeah. in that moment, people are really forgiving is what I learned. As long as you can bring it back with the same swagger and confidence, like it never happened. And that yeah, shit I was always cool with. Man, just to have that, to, to be able to do that and not just shut down. Like that's a skill that either, or not that it can't be developed, but like, I think yeah, there's a, a naturalness to that. You know what I mean? Like there has to be a confidence ahead of it. I think I, I, think, I always found it difficult. I don't know if it's easy, but I practice a lot beforehand. Like to yeah. me, it was always like, I don't, think I'm, I don't actually think I'm good. So I have to practice. Right. Like, I don't know. Rappers tell me I'm supposed to believe in the best. I'm like, nah, bro, I'm not, I'm just interesting. I don't know with that, you know, like, and it, but it's like, yeah, I know I practice way more than a lot of my peers do. And I have to try right. harder than a lot of my peers do. And I'm down and to do it. And that will show up in the live show. Yes. Way more than it does in other environments. Cause I don't mm -hmm. have a choice. Like I have to practice my set every time before I perform it. Like three, four, I, <clears throat> every I time. have video of my, my first actual live show. So like, a couple of we did a show at a ymca like punk rock sort of show with all it was just like almost kids compared to how old we were but i just i knew a guy who ran the ymca shows and i wanted to do it live in front of people before i did one that i cared about if that makes sense like no offense to the ymca yeah. punk rock show but if they hate me i'm like eh. you know what i mean it doesn't hurt as bad as if some hip-hop heads are like yo this is whack um so, but my first actual hip hop show, I have um, video of it and I, I hate watching it. Like I hate watching myself. I, I look so awkward. I'm doing this, this, the whole time I'm rapping, I'm like going back and forth like this. And I didn't even realize it. I assume it's just nervousness. And like, it wasn't even that it was bad. Like I didn't fuck up any of the rhymes or anything. It's just like looking at myself be so awkward and new to it. Yeah, I relate heavy. <laughs> I'm not a fan of a lot of my video efforts, like on camera presence. I feel yeah. like I'm a, I'm alright with it now, cause years. But yo, for I can't watch my 2017 shit. Like I just can't watch those videos. They make me feel super weird to like look yeah. at, and the way I talk and it's a bad reminder. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, yeah. No, I know what you mean, man. It's hard. It's. I think a lot of people say that, right? It's hard to listen to you or watch your old stuff. And especially if you feel that you've improved, especially then you're just like, oh man, what was I on back then? Um, but the live thing never, never appealed to me that much. Um, it would actually mess with every time we had a show. And maybe this is part of why I didn't pursue it so much after that one show. Like every time we had a show, uh, my stomach would be messed up for like two days. Yo, um, say a word. And I couldn't, like to get up on stage, I'd have to have at least two drinks. And that was dangerous because if I had four, now I'm going to be probably stumbling. You know what I mean? And my lips will be a little flappily than I, than I want them, right? So it's like I had to maintain this balance. And like the Those whole day of the show, things. I'd just be uptight and even up to it and up on the thing. And like the feeling after is almost worth it because it would just feel like such a relief. And especially when 
you know the crowd appreciated it it's like i don't know that i've ever felt anything quite like that you know what i mean like it's just, it washes over you Woo! you almost feel like you're floating right like um but yeah it's i always hated the the part before the whole live performance thing the part before is trash it never got better well i mean it got better in the sense like now it's, i find it like it's kind of boring like yeah. i don't i don't know how to like you just you're waiting it's just an exercise right. of waiting so you're forced to encounter the task that you're like dealing with in the next hour and it's like waiting for an exam every time um, yeah and you get good at it i suppose of managing it but like it's really not fun for me i, get, I, get good at <laughs> I like performing as early as possible on a set so like yeah. i can just be done and then chill the yeah. rest of the night and just enjoy like, the rest of the night like, yeah. everybody before me i'm not paying attention i try yeah. but i'm not i'm like too busy no. thinking about bars in my okay i know where Freaking i'm stumbling I can't. So it's like, it's if I listen to your stuff, I'm going to forget my own, right? My head is full with mine right now. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I just, I didn't, I never really, and again, I only did like five or six shows. So maybe a bunch more and it would have got easier, but it just seemed like that part of it for me never really got better. I just, I would be overthinking it the whole time. You know what I mean? I'd be obviously like thinking in the directions. Of, oh, what if I mess this part up? Or like, Oh, I, said the wrong word when i was practicing this song earlier today what if i blah 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 you know stuff like that so i guess um what happens after that like you stop performing y'all kind of go your separate ways hip-hop wise how does it like progress for you because at some point you you know shut up mx south africa for resubscribing subscribing's the money one on twitch that's cool shout out you the dude's mx south africa this guy if you're ever on twitch check out his stream He's in South Africa. Bust the mad freestyles of goodness. Um, really talented artist, like artist. Yeah, like, he, uh, I fucks with him. He big me up. He big my last uh, uh, bridge the gap first up a little bit on either this or mess Twitch. I forget. That's dope. But I remember the name, and he was he was saying some positive stuff. I appreciate you, but he's amazing. He's one of the f- coolest people I met in this whole Twitchiverse which is surprisingly like y'all would like twitch more than you think you would it's not what y'all think music twitch i, I, I don't i don't have no hate for twitch man i don't know if you do I don't or know not. About it really, but... some people have hate for twitch so it was more to the general world of people who have hate for twitch and are addicted to facebook lives and i'm like no come to the <laughs> twitch side uh to me twitch just based on the where you just said i prefer twitch because it, it was more focused on video games right like facebook's gossip at least twitch is like something i can sort of relate to from from twitch is focused on on focused that's a way to put it like like i don't know how because facebook's like whatever i i find i don't like facebook as much anymore because it's gotten like really weird i don't know how else to put it like even the algorithm doesn't give a shit about me like it used to currently like whatever i do isn't isn't hitting in terms of my long ass thoughtful shit tell people to get vaccinated you'll be all over it yeah that's boring shit but what's cool about like twitch is like like yo everybody does a stream and on your stream you're executive producing your independent show because it's live so everybody just does their thing in their little environments and you just start like finding people that have vibes you fuck with and there's virtually no algorithm in fact it's fucking painful to grow on twitch because if there's no algorithm and you have to do all the work 
and you have to go actually talk to people and make friends and engage in communities. And I'm like half into, yo, I fucking swear the internet, (laughs) the internet is forcing me to do Twitch specifically to go do a bunch of shit. People told me the internet would never make me do. And I'm having like this, like, Oh fuck me. I have to go like wake up and say good morning to people. If I want to do my job right now and shit like that. Right. Like that's the future of my life to foster community growth. And that's all Twitch, man. And that like, wouldn't have put the perspective on how to play the internet smarter. And it isn't gaming Twitch. Gaming Twitch is gaming Twitch. You either like it or you don't. I just know about music Twitch and podcast Twitch and all these other Twitches, which is like, imagine YouTube without trolls and haters. That's Twitch. (laughs) In my experience, I'm not big though. I'm sure big people deal with shit I don't deal with. Of course, of course. But as a small scale person, nobody's telling me to fuck off. And that's lovely. (laughs) Careful what you wish for. (laughs) Um, yeah, I guess yeah. I, like my my knowledge of Twitch was just based on that there was a whole bunch of stuff. Maybe because of my kids, like I'd see you know or hear about the gaming side of it, and I didn't really know that there was much more to it until uh, until this stuff, like you and and Lamef and yeah. uh, Willie and yeah, shout out Willie. Willie's one of the guys who took the plunge into Twitch with us, and we got big love mm-hmm. for that. Because it's a community thing. The more people that we know on Twitch doing similarly things, the bigger we all collectively get because there's no such thing as a Twitch streamer that's successful without a fat load of fucking Twitch streamers around them. Right. It's, it's super social in a way that's yeah. positive because you have to no, work nice with right. others. It was you said wild. the bad word. Super Wait. social. I'm out. In, I hear you, but in a way that's not <laughs> shitty. Controlled social. Like, you don't actually have to go to places with people you don't like. Right. But you're saying good morning to people. Yeah, but people you'll like. It stimulates you. Encourage your mind type shit. Whatever you're into is out there. Oh, for sure. And that's what's cool about it. Um, But at what point do you come back to music then? Because I know you're back in music Uh, at this point. So, I work, um, I end up working at this place called Isotope Music. Uh, it was, uh, we sold music wholesale distribution, that kind of thing. CDs, records, DVDs, all sorts of stuff. Um, and I meet eulogy Mm. and we just kind of befriended each other there. Uh, pretty much started by a, a similar taste in music. I remember one day, like I was, we were allowed to play music there, um, in the warehouse part. And I was the only one that ever threw on hip hop. And pretty much, right? Like there was one or two other people that listened to hip hop. They didn't throw stuff on very much. So really it was just me. Uh, and then he's working there for a little while. And one day I hear Run the Jewels. And I'm like, I didn't put on Run the Jewels. Where is this Run the Jewels coming from? And so I walk over to where it's coming from and it was him. And he was listening to it. I was like, so I introduced myself and we pretty much were like fast friends from then. Um, and then he starts telling me how he's doing his rapping thing. And so I tell him, you know, well, I do a little rapping, you know, I had a little old thing I used to do. Um, I'm sure he probably was just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Everybody's a rapper, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but then, yeah, we ended up hanging out and just showing each other a little bit of stuff. And he he, um, he sent me a beat. He's like, I'm doing this posse cut, which was the Mad Sounds beat, right? And he says, well, you write something and send it to me and, uh, and we'll see if you can get on there, blah, blah, blah. 
so I did. He liked it. And fucking boom, the rest is history. That was a good and then course. we've just been working on a bunch of songs together. I haven't done anything live since, but yeah. So the plan is to keep like banging out shit with Eulogy and kind of come back yeah. into the game. Yeah, more or less. Like I, I'm not sure how much I'll focus on on solo stuff. Um, so I don't know if my ambition is is that strong. I just I enjoy writing and and recording and hanging out and stuff. Right, like that's the part I like. So we're definitely doing that. Like we got a whole bunch of stuff in the works um, that you'll hear pretty soon. Um, we got one song called Mothership, I want to say. I think we landed on, or E landed on, um, with this producer called Grey Maze um, that Eulogy met somehow. I don't even remember, honestly. It's a pretty dope beat, really cool song about, like, uh, sort of has to do with the, like, negative side of the computer age and monitoring and surveillance and that kind of stuff. Um, we got a, a whole bunch of stuff basically that I'm on with, with eulogy on his stuff. Right. So you've seen his, uh, promos probably of chuckling at, what is yeah, it? I chuckling at a funeral. Shit. So I'm on, I'm on a remix of one of the songs on that, uh, called fame. That's pretty dope. He's working on another project that I think we're going to be putting out or he's going to be putting out like a song at a time kind of thing like he's not going to wait for an album or whatever um we got a song called sundress on that it's probably going to be coming out pretty soon you, you'll see a lot of stuff that well he's always putting out stuff right uh but you'll see a lot more stuff with me on it now too soon and stuff i definitely appreciate what you do with it i mean are you down to like embrace it again yeah for sure um i do have reservations about doing the live stuff because like it's always in the back of my head that it makes me fucked up and I get nervous about it. But I did like, I, there's parts of it. I love too. You know what I mean? So, you know what the internet, like there's a lot you can do to like work around this shit. Like for real, I'm participating. Oh fuck. I have to record the shit this weekend in a virtual show. Fuck me. Uh, where I have to record a set for this shit probably this weekend or maybe next weekend. I don't remember the deadline. And then yeah. I'm going to just record the shit in my room, send it off. And it's not part of this thing. Like there's right. new ways to flip this shit. And in fact, the social mm -hmm. media world makes it, you can be hella antisocial in your real life to be social on the internet. It's true. It's true. So like, yeah, I'm man, who knows? IRL if there's shows. A demand drummed up. I don't think the, uh, that in real life performing is going to be a requirement the way it used to be. If you're willing to adapt into the newer market, like really throw yourself into it. Like, you know, look at virtual reality. It's like not where I hoped it would be by now, but it is going in the direction I thought it would be going. So it's yeah. like within like three, four years, yo, everybody I, just gonna have an affordable, bless ass wireless VR set for the whole family to engage in activities together. Like, you know, like- As a fan, I think that's kind of, it's unfortunate a bit. I think we talked about this too. Like I used to love going to live shows, right? As a fan, again, um, it's probably one of my favorite sort of outings uh, is going to see live music. So I don't necessarily like that so much, but I do, I think you're probably right. I think it's definitely going in that direction. And even if sort of the live music venue thing uh, continues or isn't wiped out, I think it'll be 
probably not, get out. not what it a little bit abolished. Okay, I can sometimes take it to an extreme place in some of my opinions. So depending on where we're at, I might be like, fuck a live show forever. But now nah, I'm more yeah. like now like, no, live is going to be huge, but so is VR. And so is staring at your phone. And so is, and, and it's just like, they're all going to just be really profitable in different ways. Like, I mean, yeah, how are you ever going to stop a lot of young people from wanting to pack into a stadium? That's never going to end. Like, that's just, that's facts. It's, it's so like, fun. It's so fun. But at the same time, everyone gets old and stops wanting to do that, whether they want to admit it. And then you yeah. will still want to have experiences. And so, like, that's where it's like, it's like both are dope. It's like where I think it's going to, you know who's going to suffer? Netflix. Like Netflix time is going to take the hit. It's more like we just have to have context on how we like think about the way we consume the entertainment. Like you can both participate in virtual reality live events and fucking in real life live events. Hell, yeah. they can be the same event depending on where you're at with it. Like yeah. you know, I, was, I was thinking about like one of them, like Lollapalooza or one of the like bigger ones, Coachella or one of the shits and you can like basically cop VR tickets and I'm like, it's not see it or see it for 20 bucks in VR from my home where I can smoke bats yeah. and you know, like yeah. that, it's not shit. No, it's better than nothing. It's not quite the experience you're going to get at the live show, but there's a gamble there too, because the experience you get at a live show could be fucking horrible. I'm 33. You know I, mean? I don't know if I'm going to love Coachella. I think I want to love Coachella. I got, I got old too. Once I was, you know, late 20s, it was like, all right, I'm not at the concert in the front row or the mosh pit anymore. I'm way at the back or up on the balcony trying to find a seat. You know what I mean? Like, I still love it and I want to see it, but I'm definitely okay with sitting down for this show instead of I'm trying to be up like front. The crowd, but, yo, if a mosh breaks out, I'm moving to the side. I'm not getting kicked in the fucking face for fun. I used to love the mosh pit, man. Especially like I was a Me little too. bigger as a as a as a, a late right. teen. You know, what I used mean? to. But, do you remember bragging about how you got hit, like yeah. shit like that? <laughs> yeah. Like, bro, yeah. I got kicked in the head. You're like, now well, look how like, fat my lip is, yo. <laughs> man, and now it's like, nah. So it's like I'm just being realistic to my age group because as a, you, know, I tried to get people to go to live shows in my age group, dude. I'm just being real on a pure, like, I kind of want to make some cash on this shit. Like, people my age want VR. They just don't know it yet. No, if you're, yeah, if you want to focus on the live show, you might have to go younger. If you want to focus on your age group, you might have to intensify the VR. I remember, or, or the younger and the mosh pit thing. I remember a punk rock show I went to here when I was probably 26 years old, but it was like a younger buddy of mine was going, so we went with him. Um, and I ended up in the front row somehow. It was a pretty local show. It wasn't very big. And the bassist, it was this big dude. Actually, the band was from Montreal. I don't remember the name. Uh, sorry. Uh, but the bassist, as they're, you know, doing their thing, he actually, like, like kicked me. Like, he threw a forward kick into my stomach. And I remember, like, being shocked. And I caught his foot, but, like, like down here. And he, as he pulled back, his, his shoe came off. And I'm holding his fucking boot. And I'm like, am I in a fight? You know what I mean? Because it, it happened very fast. I don't know why the guy kicked me. So I'm like, I'm about to like, I don't know what to do, right? But he backs up and I notice the people around me, like the kids enjoying the concert are almost looking at me like, I wish I got kicked. Like they're like, oh. And I, I, it was at that point, I was like, I'm 
I'm too young for this section of the live show. Like, too old. I have no business here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it's because it's like, I'm not angry like that no more, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I would much rather go to a club where there's some high energy booty shaking music. Like, I know it yeah, sounds no like. In, in here anymore. And it's like, yeah, kind of like, like, even my music is going to get more pop oriented because like i want to have fun in life for a little bit and then i'll be a miserable old man i promise and you'll get all of that shit in my 50s it's gonna there come go. back you know I'm, by that I'm, time hip-hop will be old enough to accept miserable old man rappers and i'm ready for that when i'm a miserable I'm old man ready already. i want to like maybe hit my 40s with some smiles though because <laughs> you see the people who are happy in their 40s and they are literally living their best fucking life like they are living way better than they did in their 20s 100 percent of the time when they're happy in their 40s it's when who's happy others... in their 40s I, you gotta introduce me to them i could i have names uh, <laughs> i'm like cause, yo, I, I'm I, find sure these, I find people like like i work for my direct boss this guy's like up happiness land like he he has back pain and is happy okay you know what i'm saying okay but and, and again, I'm out of curiosity, not at a disrespect towards anybody, but is that a front for the workplace? Or no, is he like, he's happily like married. He loves his kids. He has a good fucking healthy surrounding of ecosystem of friends. They do whiskey fucking advent calendars as a group. Like, it's almost like, bro, I didn't know that existed. And now, drunk. What are you talking about? However you want to spin it. However you want to spin it. A lot of people. <laughs> but I look at the, the camaraderie. And the fact that, like, these is a bunch of dudes in their 40s that don't hate each other. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, that means it's possible. And there are examples of that. And I find a lot of people who, in a sense, basically just focused on, like, community shits. And, like, like, this guy is not, like, motivated by cash, but he's on a second house now. And it's weird how shit can play out like that because he just keeps doing a great job at work, so he gets promoted. And I'm like, oh, say a word. He worked really hard and he got... It's know. possible. It's possible in the right environment. I've seen environments too where motherfuckers do a great job at work. I'm, I'm talking about me, but others as well. Um, and it doesn't pay off. And it's not, mm. you know what I mean? Like, it's possible. And I know and you'll you, say, ah, you got a shitty attitude. No, and I have at times. I'm not going to say that. Um, cause well, no, but I say... I don't think it's a shitty attitude. I, work, I, I think it's um, about the environment. Sometimes we just can't 100%. excel based on who we are. Like, it, it dawned on me that I might not excel to the highest ends of conventional old school bureaucracy, given the person I am. And I kind of want to play on the fringe if I really want to succeed in life, just because yep. it's not the jobs that change. It's that, yo, like if I'm going to work with a bunch of people that ain't living a life like mine, I don't really fit into the culture. Yeah. And that's not their fault. No. I might work there but it's not their fault that we don't like live the same. And it's more, that's how I see what you described. Mm-hmm. In some cases. Yeah. I know what you're I'm, describing. I'm just, I'm, I'm more recalling a, a, a sinister sort of thing, but yeah, it's, I, there's yeah. definitely all sorts of stories, right? There's definitely lots of sinister shit and, out there and I'm not downplaying that like, either. Whether, whether hard work in some places doesn't get paid off. I feel like there's not going to be very much payoff if hard work doesn't go into it in the first place. You know what I mean? So like 
if you're working hard, if you're putting hard work into it and it's not paying off in whatever environment, then that hard work still can pay off, but in a better environment, right? Like it's not a exactly. a reason to not put in hard work Agreed. kind of thing, right? Like just because that guy worked hard and like got screwed, that doesn't mean I shouldn't work hard. Do you know what? Like, yeah, I'm with you entirely. But I also look at it like everything I do now is just investments for my future. And I'm not even doing what I'm going to be doing when that time comes. But I'm developing the habits that are required to not lose it when I get it. Yeah. That's kind of how I see it. But, yo, I'm not going to lie. Like, I've seen some shit at work where, yeah, I understand what you're talking about across, like, all the jobs. Yo, I worked at a Kushtar one time. Let me tell you. I didn't work there. I left. It wasn't, I left when I shouldn't have. It was like one of those. And like, (laughs) and it was like, so I hear you. But like, Kushtard for the record is a bodega style convenience store. No, I know Kushtard. I grew up in Montreal, I remember. I remember the the Kushtard. I'm just saying, well, MX is in South Africa. So, you know, just just for like the. Fair enough, yeah. For the people who may not live in our little localized thing. Yeah, I keep forgetting that we're talking to other people too. It's yeah, it's wild. Out. There's still like seven, eight people been there the whole fucking time for real, reals. Like it's actually yeah, like, appreciate like you guys. It's like good numbers for me lately. So, <laughs> right. yeah, hey, good stuff. Um, nah, it's because you're not boring. Um, that's the facts of it. If you were boring, people would have dipped. Uh, you're you're catering to stuff I like to talk about, so it's easy, right? I let whoever I talk to guide the conversation, so it stays natural and litty. That makes sense. I don't know enough about anybody. Try Googling a guy whose Facebook page doesn't have the same Instagram name. <laughs> yeah. Neither of which are Uncle Dre. <laughs> yeah, none of this was planned out very well. <laughs> That's fair enough, this though. Actually, but... Funny enough, this is my uh, my second Facebook page. When I, like I said earlier, um, I was married when I was younger. When I split up with my uh, my ex, I just kind of abandoned that Facebook page because I didn't want to deal with whatever that came with as far as like talking to people being oh blah blah I don't know I didn't really even know and I didn't want to deal with it so I just canceled that Facebook page Uh, and I was pretty content not being on Facebook for a while Uh, but then I was playing um, World of Warcraft I don't know how familiar you and your fans might be but I got spent seven weeks of my fucking life (laughs) seven and then I went back to school I went back to school and realized I couldn't maintain it. It was between semesters and Sejap. It was seven weeks off. All I did every day, yep. odd hours of the day, work. I know went the Back feeling, to school, man. decided I like life more. Yeah, you have to. You have to. Um, but yeah, so I was playing Warcraft for a while, and this buddy I was playing with um, was trying to start this guild for this raiding guild. And he was like, I'm going to basically be post- posting strats and schedules and everything on Facebook, so you're going to have to sign up. And that's why that, you know, my Facebook that I'm on now, it's not a real name, right? And it's not my picture, like, because was, I wasn't actually at the time interested in being on Facebook. I was literally just like, okay, fine, I'll make this fucking profile so I can follow your shit. But then it grew, you know, people are like, hey, what's your Facebook? And it's like, well, I like you as a person, so I will, you know what I mean? <laughs> it it I just think ended up being a whole other Facebook, so. Yep, I think that's why a lot of us are on Facebook. Although I'm having a strange relationship with it. I'm trying to, in my head, plan my breakup with Facebook so that, like, I have enough presence on every other platform that I can actually 
go away. Right. right. Like it's a big platform, man. It's hard. It's I'm a hard one with, to get away from. I'm down with messenger and shit, but like, yo, like on every like front, right? Outside of like immediate social network shit, where let's be real, we're all on Instagram already. We already all went there for the most part. Anybody that didn't go to Instagram, I'm like, well, I'm a little confused by the level of success you're chasing in life if you're an artist. And outside of artists, who the fuck am I really like? I'm not gonna, it's not to say friends, but everybody I know now is in the art world or related to it in some way. It's my whole fucking network. So it's like, yeah, we're all on other platforms. It's like, so if I can find a way to like, get my focus into this other shit like i could just leave the facebook behind like you know what got me there is tiktok i'm never unhappy on tiktok i love it it's always good shit (laughs) that might be hypnotizing man (laughs) sounds dangerous i'm not on there yet but i see my son on there just like zoned into it like nothing i've ever seen him focus on but i'm doing it on facebook only it's miserable and like like you said, like, look, this whole, like, everybody I know is an artist, which has this disproportionate fucking focus on vaccination passports because it fucking affects all of our careers. So everybody obsessed with it one side or another. And I'm on the, well, I was planning on going to New York either way, so fuck that shit. And, yeah. like, I'm a pretty positive citizen, go with the crowd type on this shit. So it was whatever for me. I just yep. didn't even think twice until all my artist friends were like freaking out about it. And I'm like, fair enough. If I was not vaccinated now, I would feel super different about everything. But um, it's like, I don't know that it's helping me in any way. Or like, I have to like post in like particular ways or whatever. And I feel like it's gotten weird. I don't, it's not really what it used to be because I can't mm-hmm. be myself anymore. So it's yeah. like, okay. Well, if it's all fake now, it's not fun to message. It's a school. weird thing to have to like think about yourself and censor and sort of structure around. Is this like culture right now with all the vaccination stuff? Like, if you mention it, it has to almost be mentioned in a certain way. Uh, if you don't mention it, you're almost looked at like, how come you haven't spoken up about this? You know what I mean? And it's like, it's weird to. To super okay not speak watch some of the shit. youtube channels or whatever that i've used to watch um and now they'll just be talking freely like they always have and that'll happen to come up obviously because it's so ingrained in the culture right now and they almost have to like and i'm not saying anything as a scientist in any which way yes or no you know no, why though it's because like Yo, even at this point in my life there's at least a one two people that are like you're influential to me And I'm like, oh, say word. So, and then I know that I've gotten myself in a little bit of trouble running my mouth this year. So there's the other side of it. People do pay attention and you don't necessarily want to influence people in any way on a subject like this, even if you have an opinion. So it's like, yo, the truth is like, yo, maybe somebody thinks I'm always spitting fucking fucking fire or whatever. And sometimes my hot takes is trash and everybody knows it. Sometimes I say some dumb ass shit. Sometimes I'm feeling away and I and I don't even agree with myself in an hour and a half. So maybe it's like I, you got to like you, I, I do get wishy-washy on certain subjects like that because it's like, yo, what the fuck do I really know? But like, I don't know. I know enough to know how little any of us know and that this is a dumb topic for most of us to engage in because trust y'all don't know how little we all know with the little bit of research everybody did. 
and I think that's the scariest part to most people, man. I think the most people that are not, let's say, into it right now, I think that's the scariest part is that it's just like we don't fucking know anything, man. And like you hear good stuff and then you hear bad stuff and you hear great stuff and you hear horrible stuff. And sometimes it's the same person telling you two different things on on a different day. And like it's mad legitimate. No, that's that's sort of the scary part. And I think I think that extends to any topic though, right? Like there's like you're a person. You're allowed to think one thing and then like either get more information or just think about even what you have. In a, from a different perspective or for a little longer and change your opinion. You should be allowed to do that. But like, it just, it seems, I don't know if played out is the right word, but it's like, it comes up so much where, you know what I mean? People have to change what they're they're saying or, you know, well, like- I think the, there's like, cause the simultaneously there's right? Facebook jail. Yeah. So here, here's where I think the issue came in. A lot of people, like Facebook, so like my day job, I have to preface this, like is community management. Like ultimately I'm one of the people that has to make a decision on a post if it comes to it. Are we allowing this or not? And then I have to read our rules and we actually changed the rule because the guy was doing something, but it didn't violate our rules. So we had to change the rules to make sure we could deal with this guy because he was really violating and they wrote bad rules. So like, okay. you know, like, so I look at it like that and I've read all the guideline updates to Facebook. And then like you read like articles from the customer service reps at Facebook who have nervous breakdowns for all the awful shit they deal with. You see all the really awful shit that's there. And then you get to this middle ground of like regular people who don't see any of that shit. And then do a lot of shit that looks exactly like the really bad shit, but they're just joking. Or it's like, there's like these, these exceptions people add in their own head. But, like, if you take all context out and verbatim read it like a fucking court transcript, it's often linguistically kind of violating the terms and conditions. But to explain to people that they are, in fact, attacking people or breaking some rule is... is this, we're talking about, like, in the rules of, like, a Facebook guideline perspective, right? That's yeah. Facebook jail. Well, and when you get to vaccination good. chats, everybody jumps to insults so fucking quick. And I read thousands of comments where it's like, I mean, y'all could just not insult each other a lot and make gross generalizations, gross meaning like big overstanding. Yeah. And those two tweaks to everybody's argument, just, just cut out the you're a, just what it's not that sentence is going to get you in trouble. And then uh, cut out that and the alls and then that would tone it down. But then, so you have this paranoia of Facebook jail that has nothing to do with the other comp topic. And these two paranoias put together have created this wild fucking dance around the issue kind of vibe that you almost feel you have to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but I think the, the Facebook jail thing goes a little too far. Like I was I was in for, for one a little while ago that's very silly, that the context should sort of have, have gotten me off on it. Um, there was a post it was like a like a health post about pork being so much worse for you than uh, than beef, um, and then somebody in the comments with a name like it was like I am human. That was the name, something like that, like suspicious, you know, like I am human or whatever, right? Said something about no, this is all fake. You should definitely eat uh, pork more. Blah blah blah. 
And so I replied to that as a joke, because I thought that was joking with the I am human thing. This is clear. You're clearly a cow, blah, blah, blah. But you just don't want us eating your kind. So I wasn't calling anybody fat. I wasn't saying anything like that, right? But I got put in Facebook jail for, for that, which I assume it was for the part where I called. I said, you're a cow. Yeah. They got me for bullying. But like, I even hit the like, you know, like, please check this over. The, so you the got, but then you got to like, keep what? in mind, you got call center agents working like probably 15 bucks an hour somewhere answering case yeah. after fucking case. And it's that person's judgment. So they right. just, these people fuck up. <laughs> like I have call right. center agents. I do quality scores and shit. Like agents are unfortunately humans and humans are worse than AI no, I get for that. this I get shit. That. I just... I, th I think the whole Facebook jail thing is a little like, cause I like, I get that there's a lot of fucking bullying on there that goes on and there's a lot of name calling and shit that people should get tossed off. But I think sometimes when somebody's talking about context and something like that, it's for me now, having gone through it, it's much easier to be like, okay, well let's see the actual, the exact wording. Do you know what I mean? Like, cause I, I understand like they they literally took the sentence, like you are a cow or you are clearly a cow and they were like, boom, bullying. And it's like, but if you read the rest of that same message, like I'm definitely not bullying anyone, right? Like there, it wasn't even an angry, like, like I was trying to make a joke, like, I'll, or to I'll go along with a joke that I already thought the person was making. So the other side of it is what if that person was super sincere, whatever, whatever, vegan, or maybe, because that's the other side of it is people be a little bit like, not everybody has thick skin and you got to understand i deal with some wanky whiner shit like unfortunately i don't want to say names or whatever both in my day job both in imagine moderating a contest for nine months ten months just the dms you might get along the way from people that have grievances and what I, believe it or not the things people think people are mad about are not the things people are mad about but the amount of okay. like whiner shit i have encountered in my life dealing with customer service and shit like a lot of these rules make sense if you have the broader context of how mean everyone else is and that gray zone shit. It's like yeah, but now we're punishing the few for the or the many for the sins of the few, right? Like, and I, like I get why that has to happen. Obviously, like you can't have. Yeah, I guarantee if you run the stats, over with, most people like, aren't in Facebook jail. I don't think most people caught a charge yet. I think the stats are it's a minority of people getting punished versus the grand number of things. Like if you were to really look at the data, because yeah. I don't know, I know more people that don't go to Facebook jail than that do. And all the ones I know are kind of one type of group of, and I'm connected to this group of people, a lot of artists, a lot of more entertainer creator types. People will push boundaries. You know, people might be more inclined to jokes. It's often it's related to humor and misinterpretations yeah. of humor. So and that's, like, the, that's the part, right? It's the misinterpretation. Like, like I've been to Facebook jail another time for bullying. And it's like, I, I did, I was saying shit I shouldn't have said, you know what I mean? Like I a hundred percent understand and accept why they booted me off. Like my message was clearly <laughs> written in a, in a, a mean way. And I shouldn't have. Right. But, and you know then I've, seen people, is... I've said things or said, seen other people say things that are like way worse than your cow. And nothing mm. happened. And so my theory is the first time you go to Facebook jail is um, somebody flags you. Or enough people flag you. It's probably not one. It's like probably the, like eight to ten the people. The first time I went, 
the first time I went, it didn't even like I tried to post and it was like, no, fuck you. Like it didn't even post the message. Fair enough. They but might was, have good it enough. Probably, AI. It was pretty rude. So once you get flagged, though, I feel like what they do is they put a marker on your account. Right. And now the AI is turned up. Yeah. So you are maybe being. No, victor. they definitely do that. I watched the thing recently where they said they, they, they do that, and sometimes for reasons that maybe they shouldn't be. Right. Like in that They're... case, it makes sense. But in some but cases, they like... flag people that they just don't want to be heard. And I think what's actually happening is if you look at like the Congress side of it, because yes, Facebook is currently dealing with some Congress shit. Uh, they're getting called out for being mean and fucking up teenagers. So like they kind of have to deal with this hate barrage. And because they were pushing the hate train for so long, they're they're learning fast. And I don't I just think they're really shit at this. Like, to be honest, I think it's a lot of ineptitude more than malicious. I don't think that because I work like in a tech that sector. Makes me feel a lot better about my case. <laughs> And I, like I said, I work in the, I have to make sometimes like, yo, you try to explain to three Ukrainian ladies who don't live here, distinction and nuance on some random ass American joke. And then you start to see things from Facebook's perspectives a little bit differently because these people don't even come from this continent. They don't know what the fuck our fucking little expressions and shit mean. And people take things at very literal value. And I feel like people forget that Facebook is like a global thing and that all our cultural norms are super localized. And the more we put ourselves out there, it's like honestly walking into another country's park and acting like you're at home is a lot of what Facebook is. Yeah. I don't think people have the right context. Except, for it. But you're at it's it's tricky because you're at the park at your home. Right. And it's just like, but everyone private like, groups are. So in private groups, I feel like it's a different rule and they should have like looser shit. And I think it's fair game in private groups and everyone complains. But in public timelines, nah, that's like being in somebody else's park in another hood, in another part of town where you ain't necessarily comfortable. But people think because they're literally at home, it's the same. But like the con game, dude, I have to write documents explaining this shit to it's people. it's not someone else's park, though. It's like the community park. You know what I mean? Like you're not posting on your timeline like I got to be... I got to act like I'm in this guy's hood and check in with them. You're posting on your timeline, like whatever the fuck I want, but you, without thinking that, okay, it's a community park though. So maybe I should. That's what I'm be, saying. Be a little more aware. Right. I get yeah. what you mean. Cause like, cause again, like that's what Facebook like, is regardless to how we interpret like, it. It's not like, like, I feel like if you're going to another park at another place, you're like, you're now invading their space. Like, you're still in your space. It's just the shared space aspect of it makes it. But like, so you should you, maybe be a little more sensitive. So like, let's like say that. you're commenting on somebody else's <laughs> status, right? Yeah. Which is what a lot of us do. That's when you're absolutely. Well, now you're on their park. Yeah, for sure. On, I think people lose the distinction that like, especially with this concept of free speech, where I know Facebook's an international global thing. They're pandering. Yeah. So here's what happens. There's 190 countries with specific legal codes that Facebook got to deal with at once, like okay. at once. So it's not really American norms that are the so companies like and I learned about this a bit because of the copyright shit that the EU was doing. And I found out that if the EU goes super hard on copyright, they may go super hard in America because developing tech to deal with everything is too hard. So they play to the lowest common denominator rule sets in order to make sure that they're not going to get sued by governments in other country, which 
Google that shit. People sue the fuck out of American companies. Oh, for sure. So it's There's like billions of billions of dollars are going to transfer from America to other uh, governments just due to lawsuits like that. So like Facebook be sitting there being like, yeah, I hear you, America, with your 340. Let's say between the U.S. and Canada, it's what, 400 million people tops? Almost. Maybe yeah. 450 if you add all undocumented humans. <laughs> And then you go to like other countries, too. but other countries, right? Be like large, right? Like large and populated. I mean, and then some. all, or you go to like provincial norms. Like, yo, when GDPR came in, this is the European data protection shit. So they have the right to request all their data deleted. My company in Montreal had to be scrambling to set up for that. Then the California protection, which is the California version, came in. Now you got to scramble and everybody got to deal with that. So you end up kind of creating lowest common, lowest common denominator solutions that will yeah. take into account local fucking legal systems. And I don't know that everybody sits there and considers any of that. Because, like, why would no, you? No, a lot of people definitely don't. And why would you? Like, I get it. How many people yeah, really right. talk to fucking people that read policy for fun? Yeah, it's not. I don't, it's not gonna, I don't even do that. I just there's that that guy yeah. is a job at work. There's a guy whose job at everybody's company that reads policy. So you end up meeting the policy guy and learning about this shit. <laughs> it's a real thing. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I bet you probably runs into some crazy stuff. You find out that like there's just a lot of specifications, so it's hard to like. So you end up being like, yeah, it might be like super legal and free speechy in everywhere to say a lot of things, but like, what if Canada changes its rules on hate speech or its interpretation real quick? Then you have to like rewrite an AI to instantly learn. You know, like that's not how tech works. It takes it takes like a while to train shit and to do it right. Like we're not that good at it as a cult as people. Like it's it's like I think people overestimate how good an algorithm works and shit. Like people think it's like it's good at some shit. It's bad at most of the shit we want it to do. Yeah. It's just good at what it's good at, like which is make money for big corporations. It's bad at everything else. So when you start adding the new in, it's just fuckery. And I'm not justifying Facebook. I'm just trying to add no, no. context. Yeah. To why people catch bands. Because like, people are going to catch. And you'll find that it's always older people with jokes. And it's rarely younger people with opinions. Right. Unless they're being sensationalist, which is its own separate conversation. Um, well, that's, yeah. I got a question from the chat that was from my girlfriend, so she'll be mad if I forget to ask it. She wants okay. to know, are you going to be putting out more songs about the environment? Um, yeah, I mean, if, if, the, if the, the urge to write something comes to me for sure i don't i don't really think about it purposefully even with that one like it just kind of i don't even remember what i was doing but something popped up in my head and i was i just started started writing away about it you know what i mean it came pretty quick um i don't know that i have any actual songs about environments even in in the newer stuff i've i've written uh at least not on that sort of level where i'm sort of like Bro, that was a great... I guess conscious rapping about it, right? Sort of. Um, but I did like that topic, and there's definitely more to be said about a lot of that stuff for sure. I think the world needs people rapping about fuck grass. Just all sorts of different stuff. Like, just, like everybody should rap about a whole bunch of different stuff instead of like all of us rapping about the same things, you know? Like, 
What are some it's, topics? It's hard to listen to you when you've heard it 17 times in a row. So what would be some like wish list topics that you would like to see people go hard on? For me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. That's the, the whole point is for them to, to come up with something creative to them that's maybe a little more personal to them in some way. And then that's what would make it more interesting to me. I think it's the whole, like, if, if you've all, if you're all rapping about the same topics and it's like, it was very interesting when this rapper did it three years ago. Uh, and now it's not interesting because so many rappers have said the same thing. Right. So it's, it's not even like a knock at particular people. It's just kind of like, like, like anything with fashion, right. If you see some, and it's dope and you're like oh man that's hot it's dope for a while and then but if you see it over and over again especially with you know it gets i guess homogenized is maybe a good word with people doing their own little tweaks and little versions that are slightly different but the same it just kind of it loses its 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 flavor right its value um so yeah i mean it'd be hard cows and pigs i'm looking at the chat now that'd be that'd be a great one for people to come up with you know, and you can get creative with it. Like we were talking about Aesop Rock before on his, uh, I think it's on None Shall Pass. He has a song about pigs, but it's it's relating to police, right? Like he's calling police pigs, but the whole way he's like maintaining the metaphor. So it's kind of, you know. Yeah, I definitely or, think um, there's a lot there's of ways like, to approach it. There's a, a Danger Doom song called Bats of Urine where he's sort of making fun of everybody talking about this irrelevant stuff that doesn't matter by talking about vats of urine, because it doesn't really matter, but we can go into the topic and discuss it. And and it's it's a pretty funny song. The beat's good and stuff. But you, when you listen to what he's actually rapping, you're like, man, he's just rapping about piss. Like, there's, there's not really anything to it. But when you go a little deeper, you're kind of like, I see what's happening, you know? Yeah, I definitely feel like that matters. Um also think that like a huge thing changed um and i didn't really understand it until i reviewed albums at first with album reviews you're sitting there and you're really eager <clears throat> we're talking a year maybe even two years you're so down to bump everything four or five times oh, this is me i'm not talking for everyone and then all of a sudden it's work and all of a sudden you started hearing a lot of shit and all of a sudden you're like, okay, I only need three listens. And then all of a sudden you're like sometimes winging it on like a one listen and don't do that if it's Eminem because the like-dislike ratio is 50% and it's not a good look. Um, and it's like, I don't know, man. My life got bu busier the more I was doing better. And my ability to really sit down with albums and listen to them the way I want at this phase of my life is really hard. I can't really enjoy music to that level. So I find myself often drawn to like a lot of the repetition, the quick one-liners that have impact because in a world where you've got to hustle every day all the time, like who is really just doing one thing anymore? Then that, it's like, that makes sense. like, as you get older, you get less time on, uh, you know, recreational things, right? So. But I also feel like the little ones are facing that challenge just today and now. Like, they also got to hustle because they're getting hired younger and, like, a lot of them do hustle. So it's like, or even to maintain a social life, it's almost like to be young now, you're an influencer just to enter the game. That's wild. Yeah, like, they I take on like this that, whole other job. Even before the, the sort of, like, 
everyone being an influencer thing. You had those people, and obviously the reach wasn't as wide without the internet. But there was always the the people you knew um, that were way ahead of their level, sort of age wise in certain games. You know what I mean? Like I was like, watching my, these, uh, like my cousin's daughter. She's like eight, nine, something like that, little but getting bigger and whatnot. Like they were too shy to talk to me. I'm like, fair enough. You don't know me that well. And like they were like saying shit I saw in memes and like acting like like the games are now being influencer, like you know like it's and that's a job, is what I'm discovering, you know. Yeah. So I feel like the way life is metamorphizing into this like, yo, everybody that's twenty is probably better at marketing than people that are forty right now. Nobody really wants to admit that in the older sphere. Potentially, I think maybe having been marketed in that way too so much they might understand it if they learned about it but maybe no, they, not they do know about like, it right off the bat right nah, bro everybody i talk to that's young artist regular person whatever whatever they're busting out instagram analytics and just recognizing shit and observing and and i'm like no i'm like i had to literally take online courses no lie to understand some of the shit you just learned because you were a curious teenager with an instagram right. analytics page I see your point. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And all the time in the world to learn about concepts like A-B testing. Bro, these guys, this this young one, he's like 20. He hit me up for an interview. You know what really impressed me and made me go, I'm going to do this? He had a seven, one-minute Instagram post that was like a mixtape, in a sense, flavors, samples of songs, and they were versatile. And I was like, I, I need to know what this kid thinks about things because that was that's fire. I that's that's thought... Prince Paul, though. That Prince Paul did that with uh, Prince Among Thieves with a music video. Again, before the internet, right? He had a music video, and it was literally, like, it was not a whole song. It was, I want to say, even, like, up to, like, 12 little bits of songs on the album that he composed. And it was, like, you know what I mean? Just four bars here of Everlast Rap, and four bars here of the De La Soul part, four bars here of the Exhibit part, you know what I mean? So, like... The concept, it makes sense. It's been around. Like, you got a good preview, right, with the music video. But what I noticed but is the little ones. The music videos aren't as no, popular music, now. No, music videos are more popular than ever. It's just that people I'm are. I'm saying on TV. Oh, yeah, no. TV. Like, that was the. Yeah, exactly. That was the TV. medium back then, right? Like, we're, we're past that now. Now it's like, yo, where's your visuals at? It's too easy to make visuals for you to not have visuals. And you're like, it's not that easy to make visuals. It's actually, yo, to make good visuals is hard. That's where I'm struggling because I know to it's make not. good visuals that people haven't done. Right? No, like, not even haven't done. I don't care about the haven't done. I'm really down to do some trope shit. But like, you make some bad videos and you start understanding what goes into making a, a, a quality from a basic cinema point of view. Right? You got a storyboard figure out a mood, you have to find your set, your props. And we're just talking to do a stereotypical video. Now we're just talking about a stereotype video. You To do something innovative, now you gotta be creative, you gotta location scout, blue, blue, blah. Like, like all of this shit to me is so much work and I'm like not that into it personally. So like the more I learned about making good videos, the less I like, like that's why I'm like, eh, videos aren't my favorite. But the reality is, it's too fiscally easy to not figure it out, get over yourself and like start to create a pipeline that has low end visuals. There's, because... Yeah, there's definitely that with the like the popularity of it and the ease of access. Um, 
my point was more just like mm. like even back then when you had sort of a new effect or something like that that right, came right, out right. and was available that would become the new good video right whereas if you didn't use that then you weren't up in this tier yet and then right, now right, you look right. back on that stuff now and it's like that it, it almost all gets clumped together like the first person to sort of make it famous with everyone that used it after because it's almost like all of that was so far back technologically now we're at this point but it's it's a similar thing happening where it's like if you're on the cusp of the technology and the effects and shit like that your stuff looks the hottest you know what i mean or at least it's more innovative or it shows yeah. like because that's what impressed me was that everyone can do it right and in one Facebook, one Instagram post that he sent me, he was able to communicate that he's an interesting enough artist that I could. And I'm like, that's smart, you know, like, and it just made me realize that young people just do shit like that. And then they're like, yo, which one of these is best? One through seven, pick, go. And I'm like, huh, he didn't even release these. He's just, mm -hmm. and I'm like, yo, and then I'm finding that they, they pretty much, and then it's not just like the musician types. It's like. I bet people would really just be doing this for regular ass pictures on some thirst for likes and shit. But like you said, when this guy did that, it impressed you, right? That wasn't the norm of everything that you were getting approached say, with yet. No, no, no. I'm going to say pretty much everybody under the age of 25 I have talked to has left me with one of those moments. So I want to yeah. say these little ones be really, they're intuitive with it as a culture yeah. and it's the shit that us older ones be struggling with as the world vies towards social media marketing and content marketing taking over mm -hmm. and that's why all the ads look the same because we're not really good at shit but we're the ones doing the shit right like it's i mean when it's the same old story right like the youth are gonna do the shit that we did better and then they'll do some new shit and half so, of us will shit on it and then it'll become the main thing and yeah, I don't. I feel like it's just it's progression, right? Yeah, not bad at all. I'm impressed with them. That's what I'm saying. They're all really good marketers in ways that yeah. we're not, and just because yeah. of the Instagram yeah, no, era. Definitely made the point for sure. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. That's it makes sense. It's almost as I'm thinking about it. It's almost kind of sad that they have to know um, by default almost so much more about having to to market themselves. And like it, on one hand, it's like, it's good, but then it's almost like, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, we're selling ourselves so much more. Yo, and I, the I, job I market like of I, the future. Yeah. Like, I know it sounds yeah, wild, but I'm pretty yeah. sure that like, if I apply to places, they're going to look at my social medias. Nowadays, for sure. Well, at least at a certain salary range. Okay. Like. I'm not going to say every minimum wage position, but well, where I'm at in, in life, they're scouting me. <laughs> in your field, imagine if you didn't have them. Like, if you didn't list your social medias, it'd be, like, dismissed, right? I don't know but about you that. you got to have some up there. You, you could get around that if you're cover letter fire and you can justify it because you could be like, listen, I don't fucking trust the government and data privacy and blah, 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 blah. Trust in my field, you could probably really work that, but it would be weird if you're not on LinkedIn. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. LinkedIn got weird, but it's, it's a real thing now. I don't like it, but it's it's like corporate fuckery like that. But no. Yeah, I've I, been hearing about it. I never got on. Either way, they do, you might actually be okay with no social because the risk is more, I do this. Mm -hmm. I reflect the company and the brand. Hell, I'm surprised sometimes at how like 
lenient they are with the shit I said. I got told you ha I got told by HR I'm allowed to protest and have opinions. Okay. I'm never That's allowed nice. to really talk about my company. That's a good freedom to have. Yeah, I test it. Some, I test some it. Some people won't let it. Some people won't allow that shit, man. Some companies would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're out. Yeah. You didn't you didn't just say that. Yeah, they really whether you're on it. their time or not. We got tested from an, another employee on a situation I can't provide details, but let's say it's related to sure. the anti-vax situation and the company sided with free speech. And I was like, say fucking word. They're about it, about it. They're like, they we, we had to like come up with a politics answer for the situation, but the company yeah. really proved to be like about it. And I was very hopeful to see it's that. Good, at man. least also, them. Uh... It's also Quebec. Quebec has pretty solid fucking labor laws and shit. So, we probably get inspired by that a little bit. I don't know how like on the books it is, but I like to give props to Quebec when it's worth giving props to Quebec. But um, as far as your music goes, do you have any real ambitions to like in your mind and the desires to like really push it and bring in this like, you know, dad energy? It's it feels like it would uh, it'd be nice kind of thing to me, you know what I mean? But I don't really have any energy towards towards what the results are if that makes sense like i really just i like the creative process i like hanging out with people while they're in the creative process um and like i mean if, if something happens it's weird like i have almost no drive to 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 go for money and it's obviously counterproductive because it'd be nice to have money and like, I, I, we all need money to live, obviously, but I just, yeah, it doesn't really enter it as far as, like, when I'm doing this stuff. Do you know what I mean? I don't really, it's like, when I'm writing, I'm thinking of a very few and specific people that I'm, I'm like, okay, they would think this was okay, or they would think this is good. You know what I mean? And it's almost never anybody that would pay me for it, if that makes sense. Like, I'm... I'm more trying to impress the people I'm working with. So like when I'm doing songs with Eulogy, I'm trying to make him be like, oh man, bars or whatever, right? When I'm doing, if, if we did a song, I would be trying to hit the whatever the topic is that, that you were doing kind of thing. It's almost like, I, I don't, I guess I leave the, the rest of it up to other people. Like it's weird, right? Like if so, if say me and Eulogy are doing a song, for example, or another song, and he's like, all right, I really want this one to be like uh, easily digestible and mainstream and this and that. I would try and accommodate that, right? But um, I'm not, it'd be more like trying to please him in the task as far as, or whoever's doing the song in the task more than like what everybody else likes and if it would be marketable. Like I've never really liked what the the mass is like so that's been a difficult thing for me right i don't know if it would be so it's wild to me because in this era of music you no longer have to worry about what the mass is like i genuinely do not believe i have mass market appeal but i think i have niche underground appeal i think i can find a thousand people and they give me five dollars a month <laughs> you know right. And I, I think that's the, it's a good goal. Yo, imagine 5K a month just being yourself. Dope. Dope. 
You know what I mean? So it's like, and that, bro, it's hard to do all that shit. I can see how you don't want to run the business, but then it's like, if you, I know Eulogy's like, he on his hustle. So it's like, if Eulogy be like, yo, let's run this, and then you just got to show up and do whatever you got to do, and it just happens, you know, like, that's cool because you're putting faith in the dude that's going to make it happen. It's that, but it's also a bit of, of not wanting the responsibility too, right? Like, there's a bit of, I don't want to necessarily say laziness, but like, it's a lot easier for me, and I appreciate this eulogy if you're watching. Um, for him, like he takes care of most of the concept, and I just got to come in and like punch up a couple of dope bars. And if I'm part of the recording process or the creative process of a song, like I, I have input and stuff, and I could be like, oh, let's do this here and this here. But like not being the boss and not having the responsibility of a project um, appeals to me. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I don't, I wouldn't mind, like, let's say tomorrow you or eulogy or somebody was like, all right, I'm doing a rap group to pay this much per month. We got a six months. We got to make a 10 song album, blah, blah, blah. Like I could go in there and work. Do you know what I'm saying? But like to be looking at it, like I can't wait to blow up. It's, it's, I don't really feel that. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that part of it doesn't, uh does, just doesn't really draw me and i think that's part of like just like i have sort of some antisocial tendencies um i don't like being in big crowds and stuff like that which is weird considering i love the live shows um but like if that makes sense like I, so like the fame part of it never really appealed to me and like the blowing up and like you know where, where you have to understand that like okay if you want to make some money you're gonna have to sacrifice and at least have some of this fame that always just kind of turned me off and I'd just be like, well, I don't want to make money out of it that bad. Um, but I've thought about that too, because this is a weird thing that me and a group of work friends talked about like 12 years ago. And the conclusion I came up to was like, I'm eating right now. My family eats, you know what I mean? Like we're not balling, but we get around, we have enough for a little recreation and nobody's hungry or cold or anything like that. Right. At that point in life, I'll never, sell out or be a backstreet boy that kind of thing right mm. but if i'm hungry say my kid doesn't have something to eat i'm gonna be a backstreet boy for 30 bucks if that you know what i mean like it just it depends again so I respect that hustle right? you know, and the truth is i do pretty well at my day job and it hurts my progression as an artist because i'm very hungry but I'm hungry enough to plan it in a way where in five years I get real stacks rather than try to rush it in a way where I end up facing pitfalls because I'm privileged yeah. enough to have some insight into some of the next level shit I'm going to have to learn how to deal with. My attitude See, took a lot patience. of adaptations. I'm 33. Who the fuck cares now how old I am if it's going to work out? I mean, at a certain point, you realize I'm never going to be a young whatever, whatever. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I can't have, like, the whole thing. It just means that the only thing that shifts is maybe some of the megalomaniac justifications of, honestly, behavior I'd probably find regrettable now. Right. So I just never got that part of it. But, like, yo, I could still be 57 and end up doing all the stadiums. Like, that's the world we're sure. in now. So, like, fuck that. Like, it's game on. I've got plenty of fucking time left. But There's like, part of hip hop that's been like, yo, young, it's all about the youth and old people get out of here and stuff. But like hip hop is young as fuck too. So as it gets older, like 
the fans of hip hop that are going to be in their 50s and 60s soon, they're not just going to magically stop. Yeah, like people also, right? Like it's just, it's going to grow still. This is wild thing that happened in music. It's like nobody writes about being in your 30s. You get a lot of old people shit in their 40s, but everybody in their 30s is trying to recapture their 20s across history and music. So it's kind of weird. Where okay. so few people like play into this age where I'm like, say a word. At 40, you just give up and accept it, right? And then it's like, now you're like usually a dad old enough and all like you're kind of, but like, yo, if the, and I'm not like a hundred, hundred, right? I'm sure you can find me examples, but really from a across the world perspective, this age group doesn't really seem to, because they're, they're either famous where their lives are like surreal. Like it's like Kendrick is my age. Mm. Mm-hmm. Where did dudes my age that made it and blew up at that? Like some of the earliest examples is like Griselda, but even then they've been buzzing for a minute, you know? Those guys, yeah, those guys are pretty old, right? Yeah, older than me a little bit, I think. But like, all right, I need uh, I need an intermission for two minutes. We'll be right back. Is that cool? Yes, yeah, totally. like, bro, I was I dying. Long format interview, but a coffee right ahead of it. <laughs> yeah, I drank a coffee and like half of this of water, and I'm yep. like fucking dying. <laughs> and I'm like, nah. But yo, I'm like this. I gotta hold up. If the guest is out, hold. Cause yo, when I first started this, I was drinking coffee a lot more. This time of day, it is what it is. I gotta drink coffee. I don't care. But I was doing this shit at like five. Six drinking like a coffee on the interview and shit, or like right before the interview, and I would be running to the bathroom. Like we're talking sometimes like some of them Iron Solomon types, and I'd be having to take a pee break because I can't even focus no more. And it's like you realize that coffee makes you pee, and so mm-hmm. you gotta stop drinking coffee at a certain part of the day. But now it's like, bro, I woke up at nine something today. It's <laughs> like I'm still drinking coffee at this part of the day. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So oh, same thing. But the I beauty of Twitch is the long trip to work. <laughs> long, long drive to work, and you're like, "Fuck! I should not have drank three coffees before I got in the car." <laughs> yeah. The beauty of Twitch is everyone gets it because they can literally just look at how long their stream is and be like, "Right." You know, sometimes I gotta pee like eight minutes in, and I'm like. I gotta wait till it's at least an hour. Cause why did I go live? Without... <laughs> anyway, that's enough about pee. Um, but yeah, but yeah back to the old old Griselda. Like those guys are are already aged, I think, right? Or like, like Freddie Gibbs too. Freddie, Freddie Gibbs, Gibbs grew up old as fuck as far as like hip hop goes. So it's like late thirties. Or yeah, a little bit. Look at Run more the more. Jewels. Yes, Killer Mike had a Grammy. Let's be real. But, like, at the end of the day, like, these guys blew up at the end of their career. Like, I'm saying blew up. Like, blew Run the Jewels yeah, like, 4 got yeah. a Grammy nomination. LP been doing big moves in the underground and then slowly working his way up. But, yeah, Run the Jewels definitely, like, it's a next level of, of That's what I mean. But look how old stuff. they are when they yeah. got it. So, it's like but you they've can been do- doing it the whole time, though, right? Like, it's not like they just started. No, no, no. And I'm not implying that people but like i'm not implying that anybody's just going to start doing but take you you could argue you put in a lot of years yep whether you had success is not the same thing as effort and time practiced and sometimes success is related to really stupid branding choices and decision making in the business side of it i like to think that if i had continued on my path um that i would have been at least somewhat successful 
um, just because of the reactions that we were getting from the crowds mm-hmm. and from people. You know what I mean? Like we never got that big. And again, we were we were doing shows in very early stages. Like I feel like when I lo- we put that video on YouTube, it was like pretty early in the YouTube game. I want to say I don't know. It wasn't as popping as it is now. For sure like there wasn't so many ads everywhere that's for sure um so like yeah I'm, i mean you know maybe i'm stroking myself a little bit but i like to think if i had tried a lot harder if i didn't go the directions i did then there could have been a potential for for making it bigger but like it's definitely yeah. i think the the lack of of work ethic and hustle in that direction was was a huge negative effect sort of if you know if i was considering that outcome anyway i mean i empathize with that i look at it like i wasted about seven years six seven years easy not on practicing rapping that part i was always down to do but like the make it a career part is a lot more i i started to take it more seriously when i started podcasting to be honest i know it's weird but like that was a move to put my name out there and build a brand and to like yeah take the entertainment side of the business a little bit different and create something that was more than just i'm a rapper putting out some rapidy raps up in this world but like even to that end i didn't even know any of the business shit that you're supposed to learn until i started interviewing motherfuckers and the list of things i should have been doing since 2012 is pretty fucking big (laughs) like pretty big i'm like oof no wonder i I never i I never learned any of the business stuff the shows i got were literally through friends that I knew like this the first one again like I said was the YMCA was from his buddy that did those punk rock shows at the YMCA the first real hip-hop show I got was from a buddy I worked for or with at a day job that happened to do stuff in St. Catharines which is a city about half hour 45 minutes from here closer to Niagara Falls um we did a show at the University of Toronto that was like a music show slash modeling show but that was because my cousin was in the university program so it was like it's all these networking sort of ins that i stumbled on you know what i mean even like the there was three shows two at a place called the red rooster that was here in town in burlington and one the last show which is a uh, at a place called the cork town in hamilton i don't even know if it's still going on um those shows i got by picking up one of those like like local newspaper magazine sort of things that every big town has. I don't know if you're, I, mean, I don't even know if that's really a thing anymore, but it used to be big before, again, before back in my day. Um, Yo, it's wildly interesting. If the, the newspaper targeted older people, they, they tend to be around. And if they did not, they don't be around. Cause we have one of them that survived. It's the right. one that targets old people. Right. So at, at the time that we're talking about, it was definitely like a, there was a, uh, independent music scene buzz in there too like they talk about old people stuff that was like locally sort of relevant and then they'd have a lot of stuff that was more cultural that obviously catered a little more to the youth um but the one i forget which one i want to say is called the view but maybe i'm wrong but it literally had a list and one of the back pages of all the venues that do live music of any kind so there was like like 200 clubs that are just around the area that most of them I didn't know what the hell they were and I'd literally just phone them all up one after the other hey I got this thing check my MySpace yeah MySpace account because we had like three songs on the MySpace account 
Uh, and, you know, if you guys are doing hip hop shows, blah, blah, blah. And like out of the 200 phone calls that I made, I got two venues that were fucking with me. And the one put us back on, right? So it's like, it's a way different hustle, man. Like that's the no, only no, no, part no. of the business this is the, This is all this time later. I'm sitting there behind the scenes complaining. Y'all, who the fuck's going to be making lists of all the people we have to cold call? That's currently my struggle is who the fuck going to do that part? Because I'm not you can't the right. Google that you can't Google just, you I'm know, not the right person. I don't have the right demeanor to personally do it. And as far as time goes. Yeah, no, me neither. <laughs> as far as time goes, I kind of. But I'm currently Googling other stuff that I think is worth prioritizing. So inevitably. But yes, I am. I do believe in the power of of all of that. But it's just that it's so lengthy. It's like one of those things where for the next two to three years of my life, it's going to be spent making these really, really big lists of everything. Blog sites that still accept it. Because I don't even care if it gets viewers. I just just want to have it. I want to be able to have like. 60 blog placements a day a track comes out for the seo signals and like because yeah. that shit's going to play back to the algorithm that's going to tell spotify you're more relevant than your boy spending some shit why do you think they embed your album and all their shit you know what i mean so like they can track all that shit so it's really just a maximization game and then i'm sure there's a little payola and on a budget of like x amount i can figure out the right number i'm willing to spend on the right places to get enough organic spins back on my spotify to like make it back and then funnel that back into that and create like a pipeline but all of it is literally just lists and cold calling until you find contacts you fuck with that's how everybody's on playlist right now not the bot ones but they googled playlist and went through that hustle like that's literally the only hustle that i can think of that makes any sense right now is to find lists of relevant information Call the whole thing. That's what your manager is gonna do if you get a manager. That's exactly, exactly. And like, I don't like cold calling people, man. I, you know, but I wanted to fucking rap. I wanted to do a show. Like, I don't like public speaking. I don't like cold calling. I don't like, you know, I mean, being in front of people. But I wanted to rap, and I was like, "There's things you got to do to do the thing that you want to do." And once I did it, it was kind of like I said, I felt a little more sated, right? So maybe that's why I faded away from a lot of that um part of it too was like like the like the drifting apart i told you about like at some point i started to feel like i was trying a lot harder to keep it together than the other people involved and that's no hate towards them like you know everybody's got to pursue the things that they got to pursue but when you start to feel like that you get discouraged and i think and that's you know part of it what what happened to me but like yeah like you get there's things you got to do if i wanted to rap at shows it wasn't like I can't just sit in my in my room and rap on my Xbox karaoke program and expect somebody's gonna come to my door and be like, "Yo, you gotta come to do this show." Like, you had to you had to do it. And it's like, you want to rap? Well, you gotta do it in front of people. I can't, you know what I mean? Like, you can make songs and that's cool, but I wanted to do the live show just to prove that I could do it to see how it felt and all that stuff. So, so we did it, right? That's just you do it how you gotta do it. And now it's like you, if you want to do the same thing, you have such an infinitely larger reach of potential lists but like you almost have to it's work to make a list of lists but to, it's even you know, more than that like, it's, it's a also bigger like, net but you have to work everywhere. harder for it and then everyone else has that list so now my email has to be that much tighter and it is there's a lot to it 
Not to say yeah. that I'm not going to do it. It's just I have a project I'm not talking about that's taking up my focus that prevents me from getting to it. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, man, we do we do the things that we got to do, right? Like at that time, I wanted to do a show. And if I wasn't yeah. going to actually physically go and drop CDs off to all these places, which was obviously a way more ridiculous proposal when there was literally a list of phone numbers right there, at least I can, you know, cycle through that. So that's what we did. We got a couple of good shows out of it. Yeah, somebody got to make more of these repositories again, which again, you know, nobody does it because it's so boring to make lists. But look, that's what companies really, that's what market research really comes down to. It's like, I think it's, it's a little less relevant to now to, to, to do the cold calling. If you can build up a following online, people will come to you. Right. Like if you so can, how do you build up that following though? Right. Cause that comes down I mean, to some word so of mouth where, with the songs. Like what did, what did, uh, what's, uh, soldier boy. What did he do? He really gamed a system on ringtone rap and, and did a lot. Like, so yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a marketing like, fucking genius. Like soldier yeah. boy chain is like, people don't like this his impact on hip-hop is going to be in a book one day next to every other impactful person on hip-hop i agree but it won't be for his rapping it will be for his marketing genius 100 percent. no disrespect 100%. to his music because i still fucks with his shit to this day i like i never did that music. much but, uh, even right from the beginning that whole i thought the steel pan synthesizer was a little i didn't <laughs> dig it so like <laughs> Anyway, but that's besides the point. It really has, again, he wasn't making music for me, so it didn't have anything to do with it, right? Nah. But I agree 100%. He's going to be in books about hip-hop, especially in the marketing like, you know, the part whole, of it. The whole music industry, like, people... Because here's what I think happened. People are like, fuck a label, own your masters. But then nobody really said what that meant to anybody. And everybody I talked to who's ever worked at a major label and didn't have a weird experience loved it. And I've talked to more of those in my journey than not. Like, I'm talking about actually worked on a major that I talked yeah. to. Well, nobody had shit experiences. If you can, right? Like, well, it depends on you. If, if you, you want to... You know what? If you can own your bad. masters, you still have to now sell your masters because now you're and the label. The so now you need to be a marketing guy and a promotional guy or find these people. So now you're basically a label. So like, you know, like, so like if you could, if you could potentially get the label deal and still own your masters, that'd be the, you know, it'd be a, like, a sweet spot potentially. Right. Like, but I mean, what am I going to do with my masters? I can do a lot with what the label does with my masters. Is I'm not saying I'm right right now. I'm saying these but are the mental ex- exercises I have. I think the problem with the masters is working out any deals. Like you don't have don't the original, so it's not like the ownership is in question. I don't care about right? that. You know what? I would take shitty cuts of copyright money made on music that like was a percentage or something. That was that would be more than what I might be able to do in the next two years. Okay, there's shitty cuts, which can amount to something, but I think the, the master's argument comes more from, like, deals where it's like, I'm giving you this much for the master's, and now I own it. You got this much, you can't come ask me for more right. later. So, like, I'm for example. Is, give me that five figures and buy out my shit right now, please. I don't give a fuck you about anything I own. I say that you know, now for sure. I don't care. I, I, but I'm not going to have... But here's the thing. I'm not going to have this fucking weird remorse for it later on when they're making crazy money on my shit because I'm conscious and caught. But I am doing this with like the full understanding of what that means because I'm looking at it like 
that five figure infusion right now would change my life forever. And that maybe it's not going to happen too. for and me. There's benefits to that too. I'm going to give and you a good I'm example. Like, you know, I'll just write. Board. Yeah, go on. So it's a group called Inner Circle, a reggae group that is huge throughout the world. Not because of bad boys. Most people that know bad boys don't know the group name Inner Circle. They get nothing from that. Nothing. Because they signed away early on for I don't know what the amount was. But imagine now looking back, thinking. And again, that song didn't necessarily give them fame because they're not famous in Canada or the States the way they are in the rest of the world, which is where that song is mostly played. Not just in the, the TV it. show, but movies, right? So they've got their fame and are very successful touring regular like worldwide big festivals we're talking huge inner circle if you look them up you'll see they're big 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 name um but they don't get nothing from that so don't you think that they probably feel a type of way i don't where, know like, man because there was so in, much money made off of this i feel like that's like none of it i feel like, like that's that's one way i feel like that's a way to interpret it but there's just other ways to interpret it. And I'm going with my current life and everything that I'm facing. I'm like, you know what? Might be nice to have somebody do something like that if the number's right. Like, what am I going to do with it? But that's that's the whole problem is that the the stigma of owning people or not comes from a time when people were not getting their numbers right. You know what I mean? They were getting the... You you might get a $500,000 check for one of your songs tomorrow. If you in 10 years see a guy make five billion off it, you don't think you're going to feel some type of way that none of that money is coming a little bit is going to give me a half a million dollars and I can't turn that into something by myself. This is my attitude, though. So this might be where I'm not saying I'm everyone. I'm saying I've spent a better part of a decade having this debate with the world. You know, you kind of get an idea. And I know myself now. So I can't tell you what future me might be. It might have a lot to do with it. If I'm successfully touring the world. I'm living my dream, so I'm pretty okay when another man's making money on my shit because I can just figure it out. Now, yeah, I mean, if I'm hold on, if I'm not living my dream and I'm up in an apartment by myself struggling, I'll be saltier than you would believe. So it has a lot to do with the situation, but I'm saying that I think there's a lot to be said that if I got half a million dollars right now, that that would change my life in ways that I want more than I think I could do by owning these particular intellectual property said, at this time. All right, never mind the half a mil. You get 100000 and 10% of everything. You don't think that'd be better? For holding right now? I don't know. That's a big question, but I think I could it do more with That's half. really the question, right? And it's Economically, like- though, I think I'd rather have the half a mil than worry about the 10% because I'm not worried about... Here's where I'm at. I'm so confident in my future self's ability to make money that fuck that shit. I'll do better by myself is my attitude. That's fair, but you still, there's still like, these guys stole on you. Did they? Because I went consensually. No, I'm I'm not saying for people who are ignorant. I would argue that in the case where you're preying on ignorance and desperation. Which is what it was. But in the current it's well again. I'm like, that's, that's I'm like going. Comes from. So that's it's why a, I'm questioning it like now because like so what I see is a lot of independent artists who don't want to do any of the other work. <clears throat> so what's the point of owning that master? I mean, I th- I still think there would be some value in at least having a percentage of your masters at least 
So if some doesn't, and, and that's just you know having no, you're you're, you're absolutely right. But get, we're talking over. So I wouldn't necessarily give everything out for five racks. That would maybe be too small. The numbers are pretty irrelevant, really. Like you could change no, the numbers up and down. Half right? a million dollars, just to be clear, is a number I would take without question. Whereas a okay. smaller number, I would question. And there's a value point that I don't have figured out where I believe I can so, do without that infusion. And then I think everyone has to be honest with themselves about how much money they can realistically generate without somebody basically being a patron towards their cause. When you take into scope how expensive it is to pay people to do things good for you. It's just, yeah, man. It's just so like you say now you take the 500 or the half a mil clean. Um, mm. But that would be without when you're in the record labels and you're you got a, a briefcase with ten thousand dollars in it with a group of you know kids that are fourteen to twenty years old yeah. and like That's, it's you're preying I'm, on their and I'm gonna say that I agree with you that predatory practices, which I don't think are as common as they used to be. They're not like what I, don't, it was. I think you're right about that. I think you're so, right about that. And, and that's why I'm having this is because I keep talking to people who have such positive label experiences. And I'm like, okay. And then I think about all this shit I have to do as an independent artist because now I'm trying to get my shit together. I'm 33. It's do or die, motherfucker. Like, I'm turning 34 in two weeks, three weeks. Fuck my life. So it's like, you know, <laughs> I can't be like waiting till I'm really out of steam to like get the shit. But then it's like the list of things you really have to worry about. And manage like booking is a job then there's publicist shit which is where you deal with the blogs and the radios and you want the radio play because you get the so can money and the blah, 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 blah. and it turns into like yo i already work and do all this content shit but this content shit's helpful to get me to the point where i can even attract the help and basically you have to structure yourself in a company and find people to like it turns into like you're either running your own independent label or you're attached to yeah. a label because yeah. so what changed? <laughs> you know, like that's why I'm bringing it up like that because I don't think. I think a lot of it's a lot of like understand the scope of, of it, right? So many people got screwed, and it eventually ended up coming out that the labels maybe had to be less predatory than they were. But listen, if that um, label makes that crazy amount of money on my work, it's it's like cool, and I know that there's a way of looking at it where it might feel like I'm owed a sense of entitlement to it. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't have those moments where I felt salty, but I think like understanding business the way I do now, $500,000 liquid is really different than a number on a paper that mostly got paid out. And the net total amount is this, that the next thing, right? Sometimes numbers is weird. 500 liquid, but 500 liquid, it means I have half a million dollars in an account that if I do things correctly, I can quit my job and yep. live the life I want. And I but think I want that. A lot I of want times. That more than I want fucking to own some shit in the future and to worry about things. You know, like that's how I feel. Like I want I that, that life more. And I think, but I think part of it is again, like it's 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 because of what happened in the past. There's almost like the trauma response now, right? Where it's but like then labels. That five hundred thousand is great, but like. You took the thing I made, and I want some. No, but then the experiences they're gonna give me back are, are crazy too. If it goes well, it could be, man. It could so go. So check it. Like, like I talked to the. Got, do you know who the? Why he gave you five hundred thousand? If they if they gave you five hundred thousand, they think they can make five million at least. Or I'm super I don't know happy the, about that. That's cool because they're gonna spend so much money on that shit. It's like like millions right. of dollars just to get you on the radio and shit. 
So like when you understand how expensive it is to really get the reach that they're going to give you, yo, check it. I talked to the bad seed. He was part of the lyricist lounge, the seed dude. He was rolling with Gene Gray and them. So I was like, talk to that dude. He got a record label at Warner. It, w- it was good. It didn't work out because Warner consolidated and it went bad, but not like bad because of his experiences. But anyways, he's related to the Mims guy that this is why I'm hot, whatever. Yeah. So he was telling me about going on tour with the guy who had the number one song in the world and what the label did and what the label really can do for you. And I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, no, own my shit. I want that. I can't do that. I could never do that on my own Mm -hmm. to the scale that they can. So fucking take my shit. Let me have memories that I can't make on my own, please. Yeah, that's fair, man. I, I mean, that's, and I'm, I'm not speaking for everyone. I'm just trying yeah, yeah. to give another side to the coin just, where I'm at today. The labels do tons. They do really have the potential to lift you into all sorts of other levels. It's I mean, just, I would love my own indie me label. Personally, I, would, I wouldn't be able to give away 100%. You know what I mean? To I be fair, want, I would also, some. I would love to just write for services, bro. Like, oh, say word. You want me to write you an ad? And you own it all and my name's not on it? Bitch, please. That's, yeah, I, I I agree with you there. That'd be a lot different though, right? Like that's, I feel is like it? there's, there's uh, yeah, it is, man. Because you can be more attached to something that's personal than like an ad. You know what I mean? If you, if it, like it's, there's a difference between doing a, a beautiful graffiti scape on a wall and wanting to get recognition for it and then getting paid $400 to spray paint the whole house one color. You know what I mean? Like, one is a job and one is art. Well, to be fair, I would argue that if I'm getting paid to write a song, now I got to write a song, and I'm a songwriter doing my full maximum potential. Now, it may be on a topic that is not holding. It's still going to be an art piece I love, bro. It's true, man. And and I feel like you'd still be smarter to at least own a little bit of it so that it keeps hitting you. Because, like, I, I look at it like, end of the day, the real money's not in that. It's in like, I'm gonna be real, this is my big strategy, everyone. I would love to be able to just charge people $200 to tell me, have me teach you how to Google. Cause my $200 an hour of me teaching you how to Google will save you that much time that it's worth two bills. The more of those opportunities I get, the more I can make that kind of money per hour on my own efforts. But that's not, what does that have to do with art or hip hop? Oh, I'm just saying the money side of it, right? Because this is oh, all yeah, about yeah. the money side of it. So that's, the real, that's teaching, right? like, but but the ownership side of it is all about cash. It's just business to me. What will make me Holden Roy the most over ten years? The rest of it is fucking irrelevant to me. I, I mean, I feel like I've heard a lot of of uh, of artists talk about residuals and stuff that they live off of just because they owned a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, but I'm so like, Mixalot doesn't do have to do anything ever again if he doesn't want to. Fair, but I like the service that kind of economy. Maybe that's like, the, like one like, case I, in a million. I don't know. I don't know the, I, the numbers. I do on think that, that I am not that guy at 33 with the lack of fame in my life, to be honest. So I have to think a little more grounded and realistically about things. Like, I suppose that makes sense. And uh, I think it's a lot more attainable that in the current market to think about it less like a retail economy, which is where the label shit gets kind of like confusing to me because there's less money in retail. And a lot more money in services, which is why I do a lot. So if you support me, you know you're going to get a lot. What is it going to be? I don't know. It might evolve. I might even go in directions you don't like. If you are a big fan of my album reviews, you'd be kind of salty maybe that I'm not on that right now. But the fact is, is like I'm going to do a lot. 
and I'm not worried about making money on the sales or ownership or ads of a particular episode. It's more like I just want to find a lot of people that are down to like throw money at me because they think I'm cool or they fucks with I mean, what I'm doing. I mean, that's fair. If you get enough people that'll, that'll follow you, um, that's an easier, that's a fucking, that's valuable as hell. There's currently um, a dude spending $25 a month and it baffles me. That's incredible. There's not a lot of people like that. Don't get me wrong, but it's happened more than once that somebody was willing to pay me that. And I'm like, okay, that, but it doesn't matter if I have it at scale yet, but if you can find one person that's even willing to give you that for a couple of months, it, it kind of goes, yo, I could never have sold my music that much to that guy. Mm-hmm. This is why businesses, by the way, are renting you software. They're not selling you software anymore. So just as a, as a sign of like where real economic they're trends retaining are going, ownership. They're keeping their masters. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to nope. do with subscription models. Because the, the acquisition cost of But that's what on... the master is. The master is you're making the label subscribe to you. They've got to pay you. Hmm. Let me refer to this. So under the model where I care about the masters and ownership is under the impression I give a shit about selling the music. So they're not trying to sell you the, the software to own it. You don't own it anymore. You rent access to an ecosystem of experiences is what all app companies are trying to do. Just look at Adobe and everything they're pushing for. They're like the model everybody's chasing, Dropbox. It's not just one thing. It's an ecosystem of apps built into it so you never have to leave it. Facebook, it's not just one thing. And that's really the future. So inside of that, everybody's pushing what my boy Scott Galloway, he's my favorite marketer, calls the Rundle model. Apple's currently heavy pushing on it. They're going to end up at a point where you give Apple $80 a month and you get everything. Why? Because it's a guaranteed $80 a month. Everything else actually costs less if you cut marketing costs. Like the, the difference between a double A and a triple A video game is usually not the game. It's the marketing budget. And so like when you think about shit like that, if you get people on a subscription, you have them now you don't have to spend a shit ton of money to reacquire you in the future. Like the old model would have been you buy version one, then you got to buy version two. Look at Microsoft. They're like, fuck that Xbox Game Pass, baby. Sony's doing it too. Everywhere you look, everybody's giving you a little subscription zipu because it's guaranteed money over time. And they have a percentage. Well, that's they what know I'm for- talking about. That's what makes masters good is the guaranteed money over time. So the way I see it is if I'm selling my music, then I worry about that. If I'm selling myself, then the content's irrelevant because you just got to give me the money directly for being myself. And it changes the way you got to think about it. And now you're an influencer who makes music. You're not a musician selling records. And now the whole business model shifts and the way you're thinking about it reframes. And that's kind of where I see music going if you want to be profitable in the indie sphere because, yo, it really is like, yo, I'm going to sell... Every music video should have a merch drop attached to it so you can sell some hoodies. That's You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you're not even selling the music. The music's an ad for your next shit. And that's kind of what Jake Paul and them were doing. And oh. unfortunately, it was super But effective. that's the trouble with that shit is that that works. Like, it becomes not about the art well you got you know it i mean not. like it's not about with jake paul is not about if he's a good boxer like it has nothing to do with his boxing skill no, you know no. what i mean but no. there's more money in it or it's like uh like the fucking epic rap battles in history you know how much more views those get than actual good battles that battle they used to try let's history? give them props that in the first couple of seasons they put a lot of effort into actually making a good rap 
I'm not even saying it's good or bad rap. I'm just saying this is a parody of the real thing, and it's doing better than the real thing ever did. Do you know what I mean? Gimmicks, and it was all gimmicks. It's like if if Weird Al, you didn't know Beat It, and you heard Eat It, and you were like, "Yeah, it's a jam." That's what happened Hmm? to me. I I didn't hear Beat It first. I heard Eat It first, bro. Weird Al, it taught me about classic jams. It was not the other way around. Amazing. No, you know I'm fair, fat. I don't want to I'm shit on Weird Al because that guy's a musician. You know what I mean? But Jake Paul's not a boxer. He just is boxing now. Like you but, said, he's an influencer that's boxing. He's not a boxer that Unfortunately, a lot of the institutions failed to adapt to modern markets because, honestly, hubris. I learned this through talking to local politicians. They don't want to... So the young people don't care about them. So instead of adapting to reach the young people, they continue doing what they're doing and change the goalposts. Like as an example, if you're not registered to vote in Montreal right now, to get registered to vote by November 7th is going to be fucking hard because the city's not going to make it. So, you know what I mean? They change the goalposts in reality. What do we mean by young people, though? Let's define that because if we're, if we're going too young, we can't vote. And that's not in the interest of the politician For, anyway. 18 to 40. Okay. Okay. 18 to 40. Gotcha. I'm going with that level of range because they just gotcha. assume most of us ain't going to go vote. Why? Because we're not homeowners for the most part. We don't own a condo, but a condo is more like an apartment than not in the context of all this shit. So you're not a homeowner community invested member. So the assumption is if you own your home, you're part of your little community, you're going to care more about the local issues like park benches and shit. And it's always going to come back to shit like park benches because they're the only quick wins they can use on discretionary budgets without actually having to get approval. So they're going to campaign on tangible things, get a bunch of parents, maybe some dog owners. It's weird. I I know this now because I've been doing this and I'm analyzing it in my head. But the reality is, is they're not, you don't give a fuck about me. I'm going to think and ask questions and shit. And I'm not invested. In like the so thick, is out of my house. It is, but then you have the realization that I go talk to all my homeboys and they're like, boy, it's boring. It's it's boring. I don't give a shit. They don't show up to learn the shit. So now you reach the part where cool, you learn things, you know things, you're like, I got ideas, let's run it. But it's boring that part where you learn the things. And unfortunately, if you're also not up to like where I'm at with the learnings on some issues. It's just going to be like, blah, 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 blah. I don't give a fuck. And I get that because I'm like that with a lot of things that I don't give a shit about. And it's just, I just, yo, don't even ask me about foodie shit, bro. I'm done. I don't know about the good restaurants in town. I just don't even try. Mm. So there's like lots of things I just don't, you know, and like it's kind of how people is. So if you want to get me to care about food, you're going to have to try like way fucking hard compared to like stuff I already give a shit about. And that's just kind of how we wired now. And it's like. So nobody cares about politics because all the issues are fucking boring and nobody wants to talk about corruptions because city councilors make serious cash relative to the average person and they can do very little work and it's a job. And I'm not shitting on current any city councilor. I'm just saying there's perceptions that I've learned. So I don't want to be sitting there being like, fuck a city councilor because some of them be really good and some of them really take this shit proper. But some of them also don't. And at the end of the day, everyone feels like everything's futile and pointless. And instead of like coalescing as a group of people trying to like actively change our community and, and the blah, 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 like we don't. But partly because I feel like everything's gated and kept out of sight almost because they don't even do anything to adapt to speak to us. So it's like, huh. And you realize that people in power 
have no desire to change the status quo. And it's really, so you're dealing with that as well. So that everybody going against the people in power are going, yo, but that 30% of the population that votes votes. And now everybody's competing for that. And ain't nobody really thinking about the 70% that may vote if the conversation was different or if they saw an actionable path forward or if there was a person slash thing to be galvanized and care about, or maybe even if there was some fucking podcast or YouTube videos. I'll, I'll take it one step further. I think they actively do it on purpose so that younger people that don't want to change the status quo have less motivation to vote. Facts. I mean, I thought about canvassing. Yeah, we, do need, we do need a lot more community sort of involvement and I'm, probably the worst to talk about this because i'm often guilty of you know retracting from any community um but yeah that's the only way to, to to fix that type of stuff is really for more people to get together and then you know if you had a legitimate number that voted you'd get more people concerned yeah. with your vote from no? what i understand the margins are slim enough in some races where i could personally if I had more time, galvanize enough people to swing an election in a local district. Like we're talking under a thousand people would change the vote. I'm sorry, but yeah. good work. For local stuff for sure. Yeah, I believe that. So it's like, oh, when you realize that, it's like not what you think. And then when you realize that like these are kind of your advocates and shit, and if we don't even know how the system works. And so I realized nobody makes educational videos or anything to like try to bridge that gap from the political sphere because again there's not a lot of motivation to it's not like the city wants us all to realize everything that's weird about the city i'm pretty sure that that's not like the goal of the city um but i'm talking like the bureaucrats like the approval people like the ones who are like fuck that we're not going to change the website like those guys they're like legacy career people. Apparently, the average city councilor in Montreal's age is like 50-something or up. I'm like, oh, say a word. And then young people don't want to run because we don't want to be judged for smoking weeds and shit. And I'm yeah. like, that's it. Well, I was maybe like, that stuff will slowly change soon anyway. Well, I, had, I got asked if I would run because one of the parties, it, it was possible. I probably could have gotten on if I tried. Um, and I'm like, no, cause I don't want to not smoke weed in public. And it really, cause all the political candidates that were trying to win were like, yo, I can't smoke, be seen smoking joints with you. Holla at me when the election's done. If I'm not in, we can go run a thing. And I'm yeah. like, say fucking word. And I'm like, I have no desire to uh, imagine winning and not can't yeah. smoke weed in public for four years. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? There's no amount of money that would make me feel enticed to take on that job. So I got to wait like half a decade before the world can catch up to that. Well, you guys, you guys in Quebec are a little behind on that stuff still, aren't you? As far as Canada, you can't grow stuff yourself, right? I understand that it's like on the books, no, but contested to yes. So like you can't, right. they, they can't do any, like, it's like nobody's going to do shit. So people do grow. Well, they'll like, come take your stuff if they find out about it. You might get away with no, it. No, because no? the cops are not going to enforce it. The city won't enforce that. You know, people exactly. won't enforce it. So it's like on the books for the sake of political fear-mongering, like a lot of these laws, because the, yeah. whatchamacallit, the fucking CAC or whatever is in power, and we 
prohibition-y type things was part of their campaign promises. So it's like easy win shit when you're right. like running on such limited platforms and they could do it because they have a majority government. So basically they could change laws, but the enforcement of this shit, like, yo, you're going to run up your court system. If you really push that shit, you really want to have to have judges fucking dealing with weed plant cases all the time. Yeah. Nobody it's wants so that. Nobody's going to actually do that unless you're like the obnoxious fucker with like 17,000 neighbor complaints. Cause somehow you didn't do shit. Well, yeah, there's that. Like it's, it's one of those things where it makes it like, okay, we want you for whatever reason. Uh, and we know you do this yeah. thing that we usually don't care about, but we're going to put that on the books because it's technically illegal, even though we wanted to get you for another thing. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm like 90% I certain what saying, right? that's what most of the weed laws is for. I think a lot of it, like yeah. a lot of the apartment weed laws is gentrification, but I pay the good side of rent. So they're not going to kick me out if I pay my rent on time. Yeah. But if I ever didn't pay my rent on time, watch i'm gone for smoking weed that, yeah that's that that would be the reason they'd give right yeah absolutely because that's what they yeah. would do so i feel like the laws are more enacted for shit like that or if they ever wanted to like sell my building and kick everyone out i'd be in some trouble in that moment yeah. but like honestly it's like those cases where it's like clauses not for like regular life like the mayor ndg was all like yo they shouldn't be talking to you about smoking pots except well because they're sorry the cops came up to me but apparently i was too close to kids which leaves right. me with this subjective understanding of is there a physical distance of being too close to kids to smoke weed in public? And what does that mean? That's the thing, right? Like, I try to avoid children when I'm out in public. Like, I'm not going to walk by to school or, like, I might well, even cross. I was legit. You know I'll, I mean? I'll give but the like, cops some credit. I was if like. We're in the smoking section and there's other people with cigarettes around and shit, like, fuck right off. But there's no smoking section in this park anymore. And I realized right. there was no good place in this park for me to smoke weed without me feeling like I could be too close to a baseball diamond or a soccer gotcha. field or a dog yeah. park that they just added and all this shit. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm a lot. Whereas other parks like Girard Park, it's like, fuck that. The kid shit's over there. The rest of the park's adult land. Get the fuck out of here right. with your kid. Yeah. Turns out it works out like that in real life, and it's cool. So it's just a little strategy. But, yeah, there's technically a rule on the books where it's a $600 ticket if you smoke weed too close to where kids congregate and play. And is there a number, like a, a distance number, or is this just too Google close? It. I don't know what it meant. I didn't Google it, and I didn't want to have – I mean, I just figured I'm not going to smoke weed at that location I previously enjoyed smoking. For sure, it. for sure. I'm just uh, – yeah, just out of curiosity sake, is it one of the things that's like it's up to the officer to decide what's too close? Everything's or up to the way? fucking officer to decide. Yeah. You know, like yeah, nobody's pulling out a fucking ruler. <laughs> that's the thing, right? Like it's – again, like we said, it's – certain laws are there to get at – certain people they're not really about their, the actual thing the law says but in you know their defense I, mean? I kind of agreed with the cops when i reassessed the situation and decided it wasn't the best park for me to go do this activity in so like i'm not Fair saying enough. the cops was acting out of line like there was a baseball game behind me it was kind of like you could probably smell it over there like what am i really doing i'm supposed yeah, to be a enough. fucking adult and um, <laughs> i was like so fine mature. Fine police in this case they didn't give me a ticket too it was more like a yeah yeah, yeah. a little slap on the wrists and just don't do that know again my name you know so it's like we're good yeah. <laughs> um yeah there was, a, there was a, a a movie about weed and weed history 
years ago. It was I want to say it was narrated by Woody Harrelson that talked about it first becoming illegal in a certain area because it was just a way that like it was Mexican immigrants that predominantly were doing that. So it was their way to get at and harass Mexican immigrants legally. It wasn't actually like nobody really cared about the marijuana aspect of it. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's also a whole part to that. yeah, there's a whole part to weed laws if we want to just dimple on that for a second. Where there was the FBI and then another enforcement agency at the same time competing for media hype because media hype determined budgeting. So mm -hmm. FBI was busting up like mobs and coke deals and high profile shit. So this other agency tried to get attention and so they created a bunch of anti-weed propaganda and basically went to war on weed and it turned yeah. out that there was no big syndicate for weed because it's such a small scale operation to manage right. everywhere across the whole country. And then the ditch weed campaign happened where they needed hemp for the war, which definitely yep. didn't help anybody's case. So that agency folds because it spent so much time trying to vilify weed that it ended up not yep. justifying its value. And that's a huge, it's not the only thing because racism is a big part of it, a few other things, but that was like a huge, I don't remember the dude's name, but it was a huge part of like, um, why weed is stigmatized the way it is because like they did some studies in india and shit like in the 1800s or late 1800s like the i don't know and somewhere near the end of colonialization where they were trying to measure the impact of people like basically drinking weed tea and working and they found that like people did better when they were high all the time and there was no I real issues that a certain job, man. like there was, i used to um i used to press records for a little while um and if I was, you know, nice and lit up and you just get into this nice little rhythm and everything's going fucking smooth. And so I could see that for a lot of jobs for sure. Yeah. So and it was just more the lack of harmfulness, but then they made it a class A drug, which makes it illegal to do studies on. So for like a hundred years, there's one university in the whole States that's allowed to publish studies on weed. So like, yeah. that's why we're at where we're at. Probably not. They're probably like super legit. But when you get to like the greater conversation, everyone's attitude is like, well, where's the data? Well, there's a there's literally like a lid on people being allowed to study stuff up until the recent legalization campaign. So we just don't have the kind of data and studying that we would have on other shit because of U.S. intervention. Yeah. Canada had the data. Nobody cared. Europe <laughs> had the data. Nobody cared. That's what was oh, used to kind of push the legalization. Man. Marijuana data does not sell pills, or at least true marijuana data, like accurate I data does not sell pills. I sincerely think it's more the prison side of shit. Weed's a good yeah, way to get a lot of people locked up. Free labor, yeah. I'm really, I, I really believe weed laws were kept the way they were for a long time for that reason, with the privatization yeah. of prisons and shit. Cause... But you see now the businesses that are trying to make it illegal to, to grow or sell uh, unless they're them, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they're lobbying to get it. So it's like you can't like dispensaries got to run under our system specifically. You know what I mean? So it's like. It's like the same people you know, behind like Imperial Tobacco and all that. Yeah. The real laws are literally about profit, not about protecting people. Right. Like, yeah, there's if some tobacco weird... laws were about protecting people. There either wouldn't be tobacco available or it wouldn't be jammed full of all the stuff that it's jammed full of. It's about taxes and money, you know what I mean? I think a lot of the initial weed laws were about 
um, not pissing off parents. To be honest, because like you're trying to get reelected after if you're Trudeau, right? You got to make sure that you're good. So when you look at the laws, there's a lot of weird shit in it. But, but there's more. There's got to be a little more to it than that, because I don't think parents wanted their well, kids locked he up. He left it to the me. provinces to do a lot of the weird shit. Okay. Yeah. So I think he left it wishy-washy so that he could make it just like, oh, it's scary to... In Canada's case, I could agree with you because people weren't really going to jail for having weed on them. Yeah, and then Quebec is like... like, So Quebec decided we the drug dealer bitches. That was a Quebec thing. Ontario decided you can sell drugs through us or however they did it is my understanding of Ontario. Other provinces manifested it differently, but like... That was all provincial shit, right? So it wasn't even yeah. like aligned with it. I'm pretty sure Quebec was cool at it staying illegal. Because rural Quebec but, wasn't pro legal. Well, yeah, and that's like, I mean, you might have years ago, you would have possibly attributed that to, you know, bikers wanting to keep certain things illegal. So they're the ones in control of the, the flow of money for it, right? Like, I think it's again fear mongering. The regular people, there might be some of that. the regular people out in the middle of nowhere face a different reality than say Montreal. I'd argue you're gonna get a lot more artisty bohemian types in urban centers versus rural populations. If you really want to run stats, I'm gonna argue that in a lot of cases, certain shake is correlated more with certain locations and certain types of people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it just runs into like. The city's gonna like weed more. Yeah, that's, then there's the question. I might of be, it, yo, hold on. I might be mad fucking wrong on that, right? Yeah, this is, yeah, this is me, me too, brainstorming. Man. Like, I don't know enough about it, really, like specifically to to say. But I would say, like, there's the question of whether the rural votes are gonna affect things no, as much as no, no, no. City rural votes, votes you know, on Quebec. In Quebec, yeah, eh? hard facts. Yo, Montreal really? don't matter. It's just the way it's split up. The population centralized around us, but it's a matter of the seats. So the yeah. CAC did not. Yo, the, the the CAC barely has fucking anything in Montreal. Montreal didn't right. fucking vote for them, but the rest of Quebec did. So they gotcha. didn't talk to Montreal, and then that's why there's a lot of desire for Montreal to be a special. Frankly, like it's different. And the truth is, is like, yo, go look at an electoral map, man. It's like, everything's off Island. There's like one block or one CAC riding in the whole fucking greater Montreal area. So it's like, nah, it's kind of like that. It's also apparently like that in New York state. It's similar because the way I have heard that around some states, I don't, yeah, I don't know about electoral maps that much obviously but i have i've heard that about some states where it's like so the what control i learned, is dispersed out and so all the weed laws were set up for this too like you got to think about it right so they're set up like if you have private property you can do what you want but in public it's illegal who does that affect right. if you're in a rural area 9 times right. out of 10 you you're on private property it doesn't affect you yeah. and your private property is big Big. Yeah, nobody sees anything that's going and on. And then, like, so a law that affects a place that is more more renters and people living in apartments and shit. Like, yo, it's just you run these demos and you're like, oh, say word. It's actual politics that is dictating shit that governs my life. And it's like wild to think about the futility in provincial politics because the rural area is so powerful compared to Montreal. 
I don't even know if right. it's like that in Ontario, but it's definitely like that. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but I feel like there's definitely more of a focus on the urban areas. <laughs> it's probably um, similar. I, I could Ontario's be huge. Yeah. And like, but there's differences too, right? Like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's more focused on, on urban areas, I think. I don't, it's hard to call, man. Like, there's a big, yeah, big, big section of Ontario that's rural. Like, most, obviously. It's a pretty Honestly, big problem. Like, Quebec, too, could, right? Like, well, you could argue, problem, but you could argue from, like, a map perception. It's, like, everything's Montreal. A little bit that's Quebec City. And then it's all kind of small with Sherbrooke and shit being, like, the biggest it is. So, it's not, like... There's a lot of population density in, in Quebec. It's just like the two or three spots, and then the rest of it is just sparse. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of zones when you come to the map. And it's like, oh, right. say where? There's more zones not in Montreal, and those people's reality is going to win elections. Right. And I believe that's what ends up happening a lot, <clears throat> at least in this so last election. The, the people sort of basically the more land you own, the more – valuable your vote is at a higher level because if you that's a fact that would be a fact i would say i can't say hard fact but that would be my understanding of things yes you could make a claim like that for real real it's almost like it's all like you hear that about in the states about the electoral college right how like if you live in this state your vote is not as valuable as someone who lives in this state so that's it's not like cool. that with, not but it's like that with each region. That's why, like, I was kind of excited when Trudeau was talking about electoral reform. And there's this dude mm-hmm. CP Gray on YouTube, who explains it all using animals and animal kingdoms, okay. and it's really right. visual. And yeah. you, you can't explain it as good as him, but you'll understand what the fuck they're talking about watching CP Gray's videos on fucking right. electoral reform. And That's so. And it it talks about, like, how to handle proportionate voting by population and shit. But the truth is, you're going to end up catering to the cities or you're going to end up catering to the rurals. And I think we need farmers more. So, Or you have to separate. You either have to cater to one or the other if they're different, or you have to separate somehow, right? And then that's fucking, now we're in tricky territory. Right, because, like, there's, I don't see, because if you go by population, you're just saying the cities are more valuable. Right. And that's just the truth of it, which is why it's a big conversation. And it's not just like one yeah. side wins because imagine life without farmers. No, no. It's a bad <laughs> life, you know? Yeah, it's not good. It's not, it's a bad thing. Yeah. I appreciate this. Yeah, this chat's like freaking dope. I like it a lot. Um, I would say, though, I'm not 100% sure where to go with the conversation. Well, maybe we've went. Maybe we'll have to like save that. it for another time. Maybe once uh, some more stuff is out, we'll have a little more stuff to talk about. Nah, for real. And I'll figure something out. I really I really enjoy your vibe, man. I was just looking at the time and being like, I say appreciate, fucking yeah, word. You too, man. Like I appreciate three. it. This <laughs> um, was a good talk. And uh, I'm like, yo, it's cool. I'm not used to this time slot yet. So it's like I am learn how to pace my day properly. But I appreciate you. you, man. I really enjoyed this. I didn't actually notice time passing. And I just... Yo, Uncle Jay, you're a really interesting dude. You should definitely work your way into the podcasting game, my guy. I appreciate that. Maybe I will, man. Maybe I'll uh, I'll pay for your your two hundred dollar Google service. You can teach me some stuff about that. I don't know about that right now, but we can figure something out, (laughs) man. Because yo, there's a lot to 
This shit's way easier, honestly, than people really, really, really think it is. It's mm-hmm. just conceptually hard to wrap your head around. Right. And once you get past that, it's easy peasy lemon squeezy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think we'll definitely have some more talks about that then, maybe even a couple privater ones, and then yeah. see where that goes. But no, I appreciate you for reals. And I appreciate everyone who's watching too, right? Because y'all stuck around. Y'all are wonderful. All of you in the future who haven't even watched this yet and are like, that's dope. I should have been there in the live. You're right. But you're super (laughs) cool for still being there. Um, And then maybe you're watching a clip and you don't even see this part. That is also possible what happens. But still, it's it's amazing to see y'all actually come through each time. (laughs) Do you have any like last things that you want to say to the found folk out there? Uh, yeah, man. Like you said, I appreciate anybody who took the time to watch either live or in the future. That's fine. Primo. I don't feel important enough to be paid attention to usually. So this is very nice. And Holden, I appreciate that from you, man. I appreciate you taking your time. Um, oh, man. It's my pleasure. It's great. I love, I love the conversation we had. I love that sometimes we disagree and sometimes we agree. It's dope. Um, yeah, stay tuned. Honestly, watch Eulogy because that's where my next few projects are going to be. He's dope as fuck. We know that. I'm dope as fuck. I know that. Some of y'all are going to know that. Um, and that'll be where the projects come out for the for the foreseeable future. And if that goes well, maybe I will do some solo stuff. Um, and actually, that, that reminds me of uh, asking before about what kind of, you know, original content uh, I would write about. And I'm thinking maybe I might write about just parenthood type stuff in the future a little bit because that's been obviously on my head so you know old man stuff it's not going to be interesting to some people but maybe to to some others we'll see anyway it's all stuff to be played with um yeah we should talk again though for sure no we we, anyway hold on anyway one sec appreciate y'all for real it's a good time to just wrap up i'm just trying to kill the stream now live long and prosper no i appreciate you i'm not trying to rush it i just like i got hungry i'm not gonna lie to everyone out there um, so I'm going to hit the button. I appreciate everyone. Mm-hmm.